No network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome back to another edition of BOA Audio, episode 20 of the season. So we're really, uh, we're rounding the third corner of the mile, if you will, I guess. I don't know what you'd call it, the third lap or something. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're getting closer to the end here. It's getting, it's getting a little scary. Uh, and tonight's show is going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it because as one door... Uh, closes one opens i guess you could say or as one show winds down a new one is born and uh our guest tonight has has created a really fascinating podcast and a really interesting and exciting and fantastic uh show that i i i have dived into or not dived yes i guess uh over the last couple of days and uh have just been really blown away by it and so i'm really looking forward to talking to him he's been on the show before in the past of course uh, he's the author of The Chaos Conundrum. That was what we were talking about a while back now, probably like four years ago or so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and he's also the author of Extraterrestrials and the American Zeitgeist, Alien Contact Tales Since the 1950s, and Conspiracy Theories, The Roots, Themes, and Propagation of Paranoid Political and Cultural Narratives. And uh, the new show is uh, called The Saucer Life, and it's, uh, it's the brainchild uh, of, let me see what I have here. It's the brainchild, really, of a superhuman person of unwavering courage and nobility. <laughs> and, of course, I'm talking about Aaron Gullius. Uh Aaron, welcome back to the show. Congratulations on this, on this program. It really, is, uh, it really is something else. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be back. It has been about four years, hasn't it? That is, uh, that is wild. Yeah, that's true. Well, I was thinking about it. We got the chance to hang out in the summer of 2016, and I was like, Jesus, I'm just getting this guy on the show now. And then I'm like, well, asshole, you you didn't do show practically for years. So it's like I wasn't really doing anything (laughs) to get you on. So I'm glad now that we're here in the final season, I knew I wanted to get you on. And then I saw you were at Shag, and I'm like, all right, I got to get get my act together here and get get Aaron on the show. And, And I... I had known you do. You had launched this podcast in August, but I mean, honestly, as a podcaster and someone who works in the paranormal media, it's like I try and avoid these things like the plague because a, it's my job, and b, um, you know, it's it's like as a as a producer of this stuff. Also, you always kind of like compare. You know, if I listen to other interviews, I'm gonna be like, ah, shit, I should ask that or whatever. They did a better job than me. You know, it's like always second guess yourself. Uh, But your show is completely 
different um, from, I guess, what people may be used to from paranormal podcasting. Um, it really is, I guess, and, and I'll, I'll sort of do the thumbnail for folks, and then we'll sort of talk into sort of how you can see this and stuff. But sure. what it really is is Aaron just telling these stories. Um, he has sort of a preamble like we do, you know, no commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules. But And he can tell us what those are in a moment. I hope he remembers them. But uh, one of them is no guests. And it's just Aaron um, telling these stories. It has a really, like, NPR feel to it, and I mean that as a compliment. I know some oh, cool. <laughs> So I know maybe there are some listeners who are like, ow, oh, fuck that. But <laughs> it has a real... You have like a really, and uh, it's it's like I'm gonna sound silly for saying this. Like you have a really like soothing voice. It's very like I really enjoy listening to it. It was like I'm gonna tell you a story now, and it's like whoa, this is really, really, really cool. So uh, I loved it. I listened. I'm gonna give you the curse of the podcaster now, which is that I love it so much. I want you to do more of it. I want you to do it all the time, and it should always stay free. So that means you <laughs> welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it was it was interesting when I was when I was thinking about doing it. I uh, I, I started off thinking of uh, of doing the same sort of thing, but but have it be a lot more narrow, you know, like contactee of the week, or something like that. And uh, I actually ran that idea past uh, Joshua Cutchin, and uh, he thought that was a great idea. And then when I thought about it more, I realized, yeah, I need to widen it out a little bit more. So, um, it's just more general flying saucer and UFO stories. And I'm, I'm trying to find stories or at least angles on stories that aren't, um, aren't generally talked about. Um, my basic idea when I was planning it out was what if, uh, what if Dan Carlin, who does his hardcore history podcast, did a podcast about flying saucers, but it was only a half hour long in every two weeks instead of 12 hours long every year. Right. And so, so that was, that was sort of the uh, the impetus for it, and uh, and also I I kind of miss writing about this stuff, but I have no desire to actually write about this stuff. So writing something for sort of a spoken presentation is uh, is sort of scratching that that writing and, and research itch without uh, without you know staring down the barrel of a of a book or a chapter or an article or something like that. So. That's sort of where it came from. Yeah. Well, I mean it, dude. I wish you were doing this like once a week. <laughs> but it was over like, <laughs> I want more of these. All right. I told you, dude. I'm giving you the curse of the podcast. I'm like, hurry up and make more of these, dude. I want to hear another, I want to hear another one. Um, yeah. There, and, and I mean, I, I'll give you credit. I mean, there's probably other people. There's always somebody who was like, I did it first. So there's probably some other show out there that's been doing this. But uh, yours is like the first I've heard that, that – presents it, you know, in the way that you do, like as a, as a, I don't know, like as a program without, without an interviews and stuff like that. I thought right. I think it's really, and, and not in a sense, but like some shows, they don't have an, inter, they don't have a guest that week. So they're just like, hey, we're just going to shoot the shit. It's like, yeah. no, this is the, the purpose of the show is to tell these stories. And it's, I haven't seen that in the paranormal field where it's just like guest of the week, guest of the week, guest of the week on all, on all the shows, been all of America included. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm impressed by the innovation. Yeah, thanks. I um I think there probably are ones like this out there about the, the broader weird sort of world. I think lore is uh, is one of those that that's yeah, yeah. sort of like this. But um my uh, my claim to fame is I'm shorter. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of timed the episodes for well what 
what's sort of a good commuting length? So if you're in your car, you're driving to work, or you're going wherever, it's it's 20 minutes, it's a half hour of an interesting little story that you are free to go and dig into more on your own. But um, I'm not going to, you know, go into exhaustive detail. I'm going to find, you know, little fun bits of uh, of things and uh, and go with that. Yeah. Well, that's that's another point. Yeah, I, which I really liked a lot because as someone, like I said, I try to avoid these shows and and uh, also because of the time c- c- commitment. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you want to listen to like three or four podcasts that are out there, that that's like six or seven hours of your of your week possibly. You know, and um. And so when I saw the links of yours, I'm like, wow, these are really short. But they, they, they pack so much in. They're so entertaining that it's like, I kind of like this better than listening, <laughs> listening to a two-hour show. Like, that right. I got all this stuff there in a nice, in a nice sort of presentation. So I really, I'm really, really blown away, man. I really uh, – I, I didn't know what to expect, and I was like, wow, this is really different. Yeah, thanks. That's, that's kind of what I was, was going for is something that, that is – that is different and entertaining and, uh, and digestible and allows me to show off my, my FM radio soft rock DJ voice yeah. um, adequately. So, yeah. Yeah, Delilah, she better watch her back. <laughs> I could be the male Delilah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's my next thing. The thing is, if, if I were to, to use my, I don't know, my radio voice um, in class when I'm teaching, it would it would feel weird. It's a different sort of, um, it's a different sort of voice. I, I think in class I'm a lot more shouty and, uh, and less calm because I'm trying to keep people awake. Um, because cause sometimes, you know, the origins of Buddhism at nine o'clock in the morning don't really engage people. So I think I, uh, I think actually this, your, your, the audience will, will, will appreciate this. I think I was talking about Plato's allegory of the cave the other day in class, and uh, I think I actually used the word sheeple. Oh, um, no. Yeah, so I used the word, so then some students started using sheeple as, as sort of like, this is what we were saying, it's like, ah, okay, I got I to gotta nip this in the bud. But instead, what I did was I sort of talked about conspiracy theories for like like 30 seconds, and I, I lapsed into this this sort of slacker 90s conspiracy guy voice and, and said something like, man, you know, you pull one thread of the tapestry and it all starts to unravel, man. And you know they killed Bill Cooper. They killed <laughs> Bill Cooper. You know, and, and then like anyway, that was me at parties in the nineties. And so then I just went. I don't know what I was talking about, but it's weird how you know you you live sort of half in this world of studying these stories and these people for for ten or fifteen years, and then then it sort of leaks out into your into your everyday life and, and people look at you strangely. So, especially <laughs> since many of my students were toddlers when Bill Cooper died back in 2000, uh, 2001, I think. So, um, ooh, or maybe, no, they were toddlers. They were, toddlers. They were alive, but they were young. So, who's Bill Cooper? Yeah. That's yeah. your grandparents. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I'm just imagining that scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah. Well, it's been a long. It's scary how long how time flies. In a way, you're right. These yeah. kids that are in your in your classes and stuff were like, they weren't even. I always sort of like, for some crazy reason, some a pop culture junkie. I always sort of like think of like John Candy, who died like at the wrong time, where like no one, 
no one like who's those kids' age like would know would know who John Candy was. But like they all know who Chris Farley was. It's like it's certain there was a certain like window of time where like where like people became forgotten or something. It's very right. weird. Yeah. It's yeah, I I, I remember John Candy. Like right before all the stuff that sort of happened like right before the internet, people like <laughs> don't yeah. don't quite remember. When you when you watch people on TV and then you heard about their death in a newspaper or on the nightly news, mm. and you know exactly. it wasn't this, you know everybody finding out within five minutes of it happening. Yeah, yeah, going exactly. On. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's um, it technology has has changed quite a bit, and I like it, but I mean it's weird how sometimes I'm nostalgic for a time before social media and when the internet meant I had to dial in on my modem. And I couldn't really be on the internet very long because right. yeah, other yeah. people had to use the phone. We're not nostalgic for no internet. We're nostalgic for being 18 or 19 or 20. That, that's and we associate. Oh gosh, I'm such a nerd. I associate dial-up modems with my early 20s. That's that's pitiful. That's um. I think it's more of a midlife crisis. I remember <laughs> when I I remember when I was young and I had to dial in. They'll yeah. never get it. These youngsters, they'll never get it. Well, speaking of yeah. nostalgia, it's a good segue sort of to jump back to the show. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yes. Um, do you find any – because I always found it difficult all these years doing the show, sort of doing them all like – like in the old style before we went live all the time, I would tape these like terrible sort of like intros where I read the bios and shit. If I ever like repackaged the shows, I'll probably cut, cut, cut all those out. Because uh, I just hated doing them. I felt they were, like, so stilted. And people used to be like, why is it taking so long for the show to be up? And it's like, because I'm sitting here at my desk, like, hating doing these things. So eventually, like, <laughs> we don't do them anymore. Uh, the show, you notice we do the show a lot faster. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, I guess it's it's a challenge, I think, I've found, but maybe you don't, to, like, sort of sit there and just talk. Uh, do you go back and like listen to them? Because that was always my problem. Like I would go back and listen to the little voiceover part, and I'd be like, "That I fucked that up. I fucked that up. I gotta, you know." And, and I'd <laughs> start like nitpicking tiny things. Yeah, what I usually do is um, I, I also use this podcast as an excuse to buy, you know, stuff, right? Audio yeah. stuff. So I've got a an XLR mic that plugs into a Zoom H4 recorder, and I just sort of record into that, and I. I do it in little pieces. So if something is screwed up, I can go in and edit it without having to find the spot in, you know, an hour's worth or 30 minutes worth of material. So I record, I record the bits and pieces, and I, I assemble them all in, uh, in GarageBand and uh, apply filters and things like that. And what I found is that it took me about two hours to assemble it all and to, to edit out the gaps and to make everything sort of, sort of flow well, and I've got that down to about like 20 minutes now, so it's it's gotten faster. But uh, I don't think I don't think I've ever listened to an entire episode all the way uh, all the way through. Uh, I pro I probably should, but I don't. I sort of skip here and there as I'm editing, and so I hear most of it as I'm working on it. But yeah. uh, one time, I think it was the third episode or something like that. I um, I was listening to a bit of it after I had uploaded it. It was like one in the morning, so I knew nobody was going to be paying attention to it. And I got done saying a sentence, and there was a pause, 
and then the pause kept going, and I said something like, ah, shit, i got to do this one over. Oh, and no. Like, oh, no. So I had to go in and yank the like yank the stuff off and, and re-upload a file and, and make sure that the the iTunes feed and everything was, was showing the right one. Right, right. And so I was up I was up to three when I'd been planning to go to bed at one. But yep. it was uh that was a little nerve wracking. I've tried to listen a bit better as I'm working on it. But it's I don't mind um I don't mind the talking into a mic or or sort of reading off a script. I've been doing audio and, and video things like this for the, the classes that I teach that are online for uh, three or four years now. Oh, so okay, nice. I've, I've gotten kind of gotten used to the whole process and, and not hating my voice too much. So it's, um, it's not, it's not too bad. I have tried to in various types of projects like this to, to try to be more spontaneous when I talk. And what I get is a bunch of, a bunch of gaps and a bunch of mistakes and a bunch of things I have to go back and fix. So <laughs> yeah, I find, yeah. I find that writing it out and, and actually reading it and working on reading it with some animation but not reading too fast and, and reading like I'm talking to somebody, um, working on that process has uh, has been kind of fun. Yeah. It's kind of helped, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a unique challenge, I guess, that maybe some folks wouldn't understand, but it's like as, having done all this for years, it's like I know exactly, yeah, yeah. You find some terrible thing like at one in the morning, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're up all night like trying to fix it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the the show really it's inspiring in a lot of ways because it's like, all right, there, I mean, I have a ton of crazy ideas for when we wrap up the show. So it's like it kind of was like, all right, there's there's room out there for new ideas, man. Like Aaron's doing new stuff. Uh, Bruce Pretty's sort of launching a, a, an interesting show. That's kind of sounds like it's going to be different uh from the pack so it's like there's there's a, there's really an outlet a, a yearning for like different stuff and your stuff is yeah. so good that uh and different and unique and well put together that i think it's going to be awesome i agree that there's more room for for some experimentation uh, exactly I think we've we've passed the first wave of of and i don't I don't even know why I think about these things, but I think we passed the first wave of paranormal podcasting, which is basically trying to do an online version of the Art Bell show. Yeah. And um, without the callers, because doing callers on Internet stuff can be a real hassle probably. Um, but I think we've gotten to the point where I don't know if we've exhausted that format, but I think that format has, um, has sort of reached – the end of of its useful life. It, yes, people have their shows that they like to listen to, and I'm not that interested in seeking out another show that's interviewing the same people who are saying the same things. Um, right, I've right. got my I've got my shows to do that. I listen to your show. I listen to Radio Mysterioso and uh, uh, Soraya Outcast's uh, Where Did the Road Go? I, I, I drop in on that occasionally, and so you know that sort of about everybody I've ever wanted to hear has been on those three shows, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I, I don't really feel the need to, you know, here's another show where they're interviewing. Oh God, I don't even. I don't want to say a name because I'll offend someone. Yeah, someone you've seen, I, someone you heard on a million shows. Yeah, it's like right. I joke on right. the show too, where it's like, and 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 you're a great example in a good way, but it's like when the guests have podcasts, what's the point of being a podcast? <laughs> like, yeah. Know? There's and I've noticed a lot more of 
of guests on calling guests on on the interview shows are podcasters themselves, and, and there's not anything wrong with that. But um, as evidenced by my discourse on finding audio mistakes at one in the morning, it gets to be a little bit inside, you know. That's, um, yeah, I've talked about that on the show a lot this year where uh, what I call the uh, – I don't know how much you've been listening to the season, but it's like the UFO bubble, like the people who – Right. You know, it's very it's very sort of like incestuous, not necessarily in a bad way, but it's very like people – it's an echo chamber in a lot of ways. Right. And, you know, there's sometimes, depending on who's doing the talking, it can be really cool to be the person eavesdropping on a conversation between two good pals talking about a topic you're interested in. But if it's not the right mix of personalities, sometimes that just it just isn't a good experience for uh, for the listener. Sometimes, yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, I think it's what I think is cool is that in the last uh, in the last couple of years we've been hearing more and more from uh, from some new and different voices out there uh, who've been exploring the weird stuff in ways that is. I don't know if I want to say the previous generation has, but but we're seeing some different stuff. We're seeing uh, guys like Cushion yeah. uh, coming out and, and talking about talking about fairies, right? And um, uh, Red Pill Junkie, you know, doing his thing, and all of these all these newer voices uh, that are that are emerging, which is which is great. And uh, I think we need more of that. But at the same time, those new voices are going to be the old voices in a few years. Yes, and, absolutely. And yeah. So. You know, we got to keep cultivating this new generation exactly. of Look what happened of to me, investigators. Folks. <laughs> <laughs> You've been around forever. Yeah. You've been yeah. around for a long time. I was looking on some old uh, US of E posts oh, God. Um, a while ago, and I was like, I cannot believe that Benal's been around for this long. <laughs> it, it, I mean, not, not in a bad way, but. That's what my doctor says, like, too. <laughs> How are you still alive? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like wow, it's like, like ten, twelve years, something like that. So yeah, it's been like twelve years of of doing shows and ten years like of shows. As yeah, I, I think my, my that is. not to turn it into a this is your life episode, but I, I think I remember my my first exposure to uh, the, the the banal world was you you had a, a transcript, a review, or a write up of this crazy woman named Sherry Schreiner on, uh, on the Jeff Rents show. And she was talking about her prophecies and her Bible code stuff. And, and your write-up was just so like, oh, my God, I can't believe this person's saying this. What am I listening to? What have I done with my life? And I was like, I like this. <laughs> so, you know, I, and that was, that's at least, at least 12 years ago. That, uh, oh, easily, that, yeah. That that, that well, happened, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we talk about, like, people who wouldn't know um, about about John Candy and shit. Jeff Rents, like people, some people probably never even heard of him. It's like when I got into this, it, it was like Coast to Coast and Jeff Rents. Jeff Rents was like the WCW to Coast to Coast WWE or whatever. And it was he, he went the way. I don't know. I think he's still around. I think he still has a show. But it's like it's, I. It's all just neo Nazis now. Yeah, I haven't heard anything, and I don't know anyone who goes on the show. I don't know anything about it. I think it's sort of like a a watered down version like Alex Jones or something that I don't I don't it's, even know. That's a that's a good description of it. I I don't listen to the show. It, sometimes I do. There's just 
this guy, uh, Clark McClelland, who worked for NASA and claims to have all sorts of inside information. Of course and, he does. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's, it's, I don't know why I listen to it, because it's so sad. He doesn't really say anything of substance. Um, and he, he mostly complains about how the diabetes took his leg and, and he needs people to send him money because he's broke. Because uh, he got don't you hate people like that? It's frustrating, but there seems to be a lot of it about, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, he, um, and I, I feel bad for him because apparently he got screwed out of his pension or something. But, you know, Renfell will say something like, well, why don't, you, why don't you publish your book that you're working on instead of, you know, he sells it his book per chapter is PDFs for like five bucks a piece or something. And he said that basically the, the world Zionist conspiracy won't allow any publisher to publish his book. And I'm thinking, God. You're, you're not working hard enough, man. You can click three buttons on Amazon and you can have a Kindle book. Yeah. Does he there. think like this? Yeah. He's like, he thinks a little paperclip that pops up to help him with word is uh, a <laughs> Zionist conspiracy. It's like, no dude, you just don't know how to copy and paste. Hi, <laughs> look, it looks, hi. I'm Clippy. It looks like you're trying to explain how, how white people are really the descendants of aliens from the Aldebaran system. Yeah, it's like, Can are I you sure you want to publish that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, of course I do. So, yeah, it, it's, yeah, Renz has, has fallen on, on strange some, times. some strange times. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't listen to, uh, to Coast to Coast lately, um, mostly because I've got like this array of podcasts that I listen to, and that's pretty much all the listening time I have. Back when I commuted two hours a day, I listened to all kinds of stuff. But nowadays, I just I just don't have the time. When there's a, when there's a guest I'm interested in, I'll, I'll tune in. But for the most part, I just, you know, I've, I've got this very sort of constrained diet of audio. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. like the market share of paranormal radio or audio has, like, exploded in recent years. So, um, yeah. But you're... The Saucer Life is a welcome addition to the mix. I feel like we've done all this, uh, <laughs> all this in-house stuff. So what? I guess talk about sort of like how this like era of um, you know the flying saucer lore, you know the fifties, sixties, uh, this sort of um, the contactee era and all right. this uh, stuff. So, so I guess t- talk about like why this has taken a hold in you. Why why that's sort of like your fa- clearly it's like your favorite. It is. Uh, era of, it is. of ufology. I, I think I think what I like about it is I like the way it is very easy to find stories that are interesting and fun or somehow, you know, affecting or even emotionally affecting sometimes. So easy when you look back at contactee stuff and even some, some non-contactee stuff from the 60s and, and onward. Um, it's easy to find stuff that nobody or very few people have ever heard of. And so it's a, it's a real fertile, uh, real fertile ground for, uh, for finding things that, uh, and exploring things that haven't been heavily explored. That's one of the reasons I worked on contactee stuff in grad school and, and the first book I wrote is because there, there really wasn't anybody publishing books and articles about contactees. There's a whole lot of stuff sort of deconstructing abduction narratives. There's, there's a lot of stuff about that, um, a lot of stuff about, um, about, uh, about you know, UFO conspiracy type things, a lot of stuff, um, especially years ago, about Heaven's Gate and UFO cults and things. But uh, the old school contact things really got glossed over in, uh, in the academic world for a while there. So I, I was like, well, I'm going to 
you know, hop on this. And then with the, the podcast thing, it's, you know, these are stories I just, I just love to tell. A lot of these are stories that, that when I end up cornering people at parties or meetings and they say, oh, hey, like his son does and stuff, I'll say, yeah, have you heard about Al Bender? I'm going to tell you about Al Bender. <laughs> and, and so, you know, then I, then, then, and people start to leave me alone, so that's great. But um, it's, so I, it's there's they're interesting stories, they're interesting personalities, and they've got these these uh, these little bits of their life that are just strange, or that they are telling people are strange for whatever reason. Whether yeah. it's um, George Adamski trying to you know promote ideas of universal peace while making money, or Truman Bethram, who I, like I said in the podcast, it maybe the first the first case of somebody inventing a contactee story in order to make their wife jealous. Yeah, you know, yeah, that I, was I've really... I've got this, uh, this sexy saucer lady, you know, on the side, so... Yeah, that was, like, yeah. fascinating to me. Uh, can, can we stop and talk about the Truman bathroom? Because I, yeah. I was, like, just... I was riveted by that story, in a sense, because, like, I was... And I was, I was thrilled because you sort of, like, took the idea from my head and then got into it on the show, which was great, which was just like, okay, if we, if we sort of like stop and say, all right, maybe let's just assume this is all bullshit, that this guy's not like meeting uh, a UFO and a sexy lady captain running the UFO. And it's like, let's just stop and it's like, what is really, what might really be going on here? And it was so like bizarre. It's like, as you say, he doesn't have any greater agenda here. It's like he just weaves this fantastic tale about meeting this, this, this sexy space lady, alien captain, and how his wife was, like, jealous. And it's like he's clearly, like, right. work, working through some kind of issue here. Now, all as he's telling, like, the story that he tells, obviously it's from his point of view, but his wife was really, like, this, he, he, he was really having these arguments with his wife, ostensibly, right or no? Yeah, she was. Um, she just knew that he was telling stories that that he had met this this woman and she was from a flying saucer and and whatever. And so she she writes to his uh, his grown daughters from a previous relationship and, and asks if he has any any history of mental illness or if he's ever been committed. And uh, according to the book that he wrote, it took uh, a visit from uh, in quotes Professor George Adamski. <laughs> to come visit his wife and say, no, the space people are here, and, and I'm, I'm sure that Truman has, has met these people from the planet Clarion, and I'm, I'm sure they have this wonderful message to, uh, to spread. But, but Bethram's message was not um, like the underlying sort of political or social message he, he had was, was fairly undeveloped. Um, Aura Reigns, the, the sexy saucer captain, says that on Clarion, everybody goes to church. And that's pretty much her description of there's there's God and we all believe in Him and that's sort of the religious message. Right, as right. As opposed to as opposed to Adamski's sort of you know system of cosmic philosophy and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And this is more like a telenovela. This is like a yeah. this is like a soap opera involving him and <laughs> a right. sexy lady alien and how like everybody believes him but his wife. Um, and it, <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. It was like it is. It was like it oh is. my god. Yeah, and it's it's honestly a, a very sort of chaste relationship. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, there's no like Antonio vs. Boas style action going on. Nice. Uh, it, it's it's mostly you know he he just clearly just kind of has a crush on this woman, and um, it's 
it's it's very sweet. And, and then after the first book, uh, he he writes a couple of other books, and she sort of shows up in in weird cameo roles to explain, <laughs> you know, how you know communism ain't great or something like that. But um, yeah, she she sort of fades from the scene. So so what I think happened is, is he wanted to keep writing saucer books because of the sweet saucer book money, but uh, his wife really did not want him talking about aura rings anymore. And and of course he and his wife ended up uh ended up getting divorced, I believe, sometime in the early sixties, I think. Uh so, you know, there were there were problems in um, the marriage and, and aura yeah, rings didn't help. I can imagine. Uh now I think one of the one of the sort of like and I I, I had known this before, but I think having listened to the show and, and uh having I think I may have even thought this in, in Canada, um I think you had brought it up, but I think, in a sense, like one of the one of the weirdly uh, one of the weirdly sort of tragic elements in a lot of this is that um, Al Bender only died like in 2016, and it's like yes. I I wish I I don't know I wish like oh, you of all people could have met him like because <laughs> it's like such a star-crossed situation yeah. where it's like if only if only you had been doing this five years ago, you probably would have met him. It's like oh, Jesus. You know? From from what I understand, from talking to some people, he did not want to talk to anybody. Yeah, about, but I think if like, about, I think you think he would have cracked for you. I think honestly, I I, I like to think that that at the very least, I I should have, you know, I could have written him a letter and, and saying, I know you don't want to talk about this. I know that that you know I have no expectation of a reply, but I just want to tell you that I think your story is one of the most intriguing and interesting stories out there, not because of the men in black and not because that you met men from the planet Kayak who had a base in Antarctica, but because it's the story of a young guy who's coming up with a story that is, that is weird and that is getting him attention. And then he suddenly realizes it's not the sort of attention he wants, but he keeps coming back and uh, until he finally is able to, to escape it and, and go on and have this, this great life with with his wife and his, his kids and his uh, work with the Max Steiner Music Society and the work he did with the archival work he did with them restoring audio recordings and things. Um, you know, he he just was able. What I like about Al Bender is I'm not sure if there's any other flying saucer personalities from any era who were able to so fully and completely leave it all behind. Yes, yeah, and escape. And go have a real life, mm. and not be tied to the UFO conference circuit for the rest of their natural days. And, and not Which, just and not know, just that. Yeah. And, what he, and and he wasn't just a he wasn't per se a researcher. He was for lack of a, per, he was an experiencer per se. Like yeah. Yeah. you know, yep. quote unquote. So he was like you know that's even that makes it even more remarkable. Now I I hesitate to ask because like you I, I guess. <laughs> Some people might be like, well, "Don't do that." But like, have you ever considered like reaching out to his sons or his or his like his his children to see if they ever have any insights into all this? Because I think I feel like if if you ever like write, I know you've written a bunch of books, but like you should consider an Al Bender biography because I bet you there's you sort know, of like a lot of interesting. If you could sort of track that tail end of his life, I bet you would be interesting. Somebody... And I, he had to have opened up to somebody or some people or his family, you know what I mean, in the later years. Yeah, I would. I would like to think so. I, I, I think that. I think that that would be a, a good job for somebody to do, and I'm not sure I'm the one. I the the thing is, um, 
I'm thinking about sort of biography. I just got a, a bunch of uh, one of the volumes of reprints of um, Richard Toronto's uh, Richard Shaver Hollow Earth fanzine that he did back in the 70s. And he wrote a biography of Shaver called War Over Lemuria uh, a, few, uh, a few years ago. And the key to his success in starting up this fanzine and then having the materials to write this autobiography of Shaver is that he had a relationship um, with Shaver before Shaver died. And so he was sort of a known quantity to, uh, to the family and everything. And I, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm, it, would be, it would be interesting to see what, if anything, Bender talked to his family about. Right about right. this uh, about this time because you know there's the the, the sort of standard uh, standard sort of skeptical point of view that that he made it all up to you know get out of the whole IFSB you know club that he had formed that he wanted to stop doing that. How old was he like he, when uh, all this went down? Oh, like like he when was, he you know over the course of sort of the tumultuous UFO years. Yeah, how old was he? He was 91 when he died. So yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, he was he wasn't maybe in his in his mid 20s. Okay, Um, I think way younger than us. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like these these guys were were very um, were were very young. Uh, Him and and Gray Barker and and Jim Mosley and those guys. And um, he was born in 1921. So if if uh, this sort of hit in 1953. Um, he was he was 32, so right. he was he was a little bit older, but um, but yeah, it was it was a, a young person's a young person's game in uh, in a lot of ways back then. So guys like you know, Jim Mosley, who was uh, running around you know forever, he was. I mean, it's easy to forget how uh, how young he was at the time. I, I think in let's just take 1953, he was uh, sort of running around doing his road trip talking to contactees for the book he ended up not writing until he was very old. He was about 21 or 22 when he was doing a lot of that. So, so just, just a kid. Um, I look at, you know, the 20 and 21 year olds that I have in class and I'm like, you know, or the ones who are out there podcasting now, you know, there are these, there are these young folks out there getting involved in the, in the <laughs> whole UFO thing. And they are, they are just, you know, they're they're young kids, and that's not you know I'm not saying that to denigrate them. I, I think you know you've got to rope these people in young, or else they're not going to be interested. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I notice I I'm of the opinion that there aren't I haven't really been able to find any 20 year olds involved in the field. So it's I find that it's like they've they've moved on to other things. You know, I was we, um, we were searching for I, one in a sense on the show, and the closest we got was Ren Collier, and he's like thirty-one, thirty-one. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess they aren't as young. Everybody seems young to me nowadays. Um, yeah, uh, the other year I went to the fiftieth um, anniversary of the uh, there was a conference, the fiftieth anniversary of the uh, UFO sightings in Michigan that Heineck, you know, the swamp gas thing, and nice. uh, I went and. Um, and uh, the uh, oh, this is embarrassing. I'm forgetting his name. The guy who wrote the new biography Mark of O'Connell. Connell. Yeah, oh, oh, yep, Mark O'Connell. We he had him on the show like a month ago. Yeah, yeah, he did a great job um, at the presentation and, and all the uh, interviews he's done about it. It's, it's a good book. Um, there were the, the crowd was was old. It was an older crowd. There were some young people who were like like three college age students, which is 
weird that there were only three because the whole thing took place in a major college town in the middle yeah. of the semester. Um, and uh, and there was, you know, the the usual, you know, array of people, but it was mostly people talking about these uh, these swamp gas-related sightings and, and other things like that. Peter Robbins was there and did a good talk about the, the New York Times coverage of UFOs, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And uh, the last presentation was uh, was Grant Cameron uh, talking about, you know, Eisenhower meeting the tall whites at Edwards Air Force Base or something like that. And um, after the show, I, after the convention was over, I, I sort of was in a position to talk to these young people who were there. And uh, I said, so, so what do you think? I'm always interested in what you young people, I think I actually said you young people, uh, you know, think about these sorts of things. And they said they found it, they found it all very interesting up until uh, Grant Cameron, who they thought sounded kind of crazy. I'm like, that's a pretty reasonable, uh, pretty reasonable thing to thing to think. That's kind of what I was it's thinking. Like, yeah, no offense to Grant Cameron, but yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking because it was like, yeah, that it, that's a leap of, but that's a big leap in the story. Yeah, after <laughs> a, after a whole day of very credible stories by very credible people and and very and people who were not making any sort of leaps, there was something strange. A lot of people saw it. It wasn't investigated as thoroughly as it should have been, you know, and that's about as far out as they went. There wasn't a, well, clearly these were flying saucers from Zeta Reticuli. You know, it wasn't anything like that. And then, you know, Cameron comes in and he's, he, he's, he's doing his Grant Cameron thing, which, yeah. is, which is great, but it was an odd fit for that conference because it was right, so right. focused on, um, on that, one, that one sighting. So, and, and you know, it's like, yeah, that's, I, I can see how that would be a little a little disconcerting. You know, you're you're maybe putting aside your preconceptions about UFO people for a day to go out and check this thing out about yeah, yeah. Lo- local history, and you think, wow, this is this is actually a lot more credible and interesting than I thought. And then then you get that the so politics, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's all over. It's all over. Yeah, that's a very good point. So uh, yeah, well, I was thinking as I after we after I handed off that question about doing the biography too, it's like, if you think about it, I remember Greg saying, Greg Bishop saying that um, Paul Benowitz's like family wanted like nothing to do with the book. So yeah. it's like, you never know what, what, uh, what family's reactions to stuff will be. Now, what do you, ah, I lost my, lost my train of thought. Yeah. I, essentially the, oh man, that was weird. <laughs> um, I don't know why I, something about that something about that point like stood up, but now I forgot. Oh, now I remember. The train just pulled back into the station. Um, Jesus Christ! Uh, are there anyone? Was was Bender like the last of of these people that was still alive? I mean, he was ninety one. He died in twenty sixteen. Is there anybody like from that era? I, I, I suppose now it'd be have to be like a peripheral sort of figure. But is there anyone? Yeah. Is there anybody I that's even around? I don't think so, because uh, Mosley died in, in 2012, and, um, you know, some of the other guys, from Gray Barker died in the early 80s. Um, I'm trying to think of others of that uh, that group. August, uh, Augie Roberts, who was a, a photographer of a lot of flying saucer things. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure when he died, but I do not believe he's still alive. Yeah. Um, Frank Frank Strangis, you know the guy who who knew his friend had his friend Valiant Four, you know, mm. who 
visited the Pentagon. Yeah. Um, he passed away uh, in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah, I think Al Bender might have been the last of the old guard. I think, I think the oldest one from who we can sort of say is from that era uh, is uh, is I think Ray Stanford is probably um, one of the uh, one of the older ones who's around, and he's yeah. um, he's in his late seventies, I think, and uh, and he's. Really, more of a more I think more of a '60s guy than a '50s guy, but yeah. um, I think I, I if I remember correct, I'm not I'm not an expert on Ray Stanford. So all you Ray Stanford experts out there, you know, <laughs> be a little bit forgiving. Stanford. Um, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, I think Stanford was he was you know had had some dealings with Adamski and some other contactees. Um, you know, when he was sort of a teenager or, or young adult. But I, I think his, um, his mostly I see him connected with, uh, with a lot of photographs and uh, Socorro. I think, he's, I think he's one of the Socorro guys. And, um, oh, yeah, he wrote, yes, Socorro's Saucer in a Pentagon Pantry. That's the name of the book. Socorro's Saucer in a Pentagon Pantry, which is... That sounds festive. It does. I think it might be the weirdest UFO book title that exists. No. And, and I, I, no? Oh. No. The weirdest UFO book title that exists I heard from you. It's a UFO appears in Pennsylvania, 1930. Oh. Many tragedies occur. <laughs> the same UFO appears in Michigan, 1996. That's the strangest UFO title. You're right. What a what a callback to the pilot episode of Salter Live. Yeah. Dude, I, um, I, I love yeah. we'll we'll get we'll get to Helen later, but I love that whole <laughs> I love that whole story. Yeah, that yeah, that's a good one. Oh, we'll one. jump to that now because we we need to talk about who's still alive because uh, we're alive and we want to keep going. So yeah, yeah talk about and, this uh, in the pilot episode. You you share this story. Story. What amazed me, uh, because. I, I guess I just lost it in the giant title because there's this woman named Helen. Uh, Helen, uh, the, the date's obscuring her, uh, her name. Gis, Helen. Uh, Gizmondi. Yeah, Helen Gizmondi. There it is. She wrote a book called A UFO Appears in Pennsylvania, 1930. Many tragedies occur. The same UFO appears in Michigan, 1996. That's her book, folks. And, <laughs> it, yeah. and, and what stunned me, because I kind of – like the title is so long, I think even I wonder if people lost it in translation there too. Where it's like I'm listening to this because I knew what to expect from the saucer life, and I think I was thinking this was like in the 50s, and then later it's like something happens in 1996, and I'm like, oh my god, this is like <laughs> this is like this is from now. This is like this 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 crazy I don't know what this crazy UFO experience was happening <laughs> like 20 years ago or whatever, you know, it was yeah. really, really amazing. And, and it's, it's interesting. She, um, the book was, uh, the book was, was self-published through, um, I'm looking at it right now, through book world in 1997. It's, uh, it's on Amazon. There's some copies on Amazon, but I found this one in a, uh, a independent bookstore up in Traverse city, Michigan about, 10 years ago when I was on vacation and um, I was like, Oh wow. You know, Michigan UFO book. And then I didn't read it because I had a bunch of other more interesting books, looking books to read. And so I, I finally read it a couple years ago and I realized that the entirety 
of the actual flying saucer story is, is basically contained on the back cover blurb. On November 20th, 1930, a blue metal spaceship-shaped object circled around the body of young Helen Gizmondi three times, then vanished into the clouds. The same object reappeared 36 years later, or sorry, 66 years later, again circling three times. That's the whole flying saucer story. That's it. The rest of the book is this message that she supposedly um, was supposed to give. And, you know, the, the key part of the title is, is really the, the many tragedies occur part. Because That's just so bizarre. Thing, yeah. The first thing in the book is just this timeline of all the horrible stuff this woman has experienced in her life. Yeah. And it's, this is, I, I kind of wonder if she went to a therapist at some point and, and the therapist said, well, why don't you write this all down? Um, <laughs> it's and, really and wild. This yeah. is the result. Yeah. It's, um, difficult to read because it just sort of rambles and hops along and some of it's depressing and some of it is sort of very generic sort of positivity self-help kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's a weird book. And when I was trying to think of something compact to do on that first sort of practice episode, I, I remembered this book and I was like, well, I know for dang sure nobody has ever heard of this. And yeah, yeah. it was pretty amazing. I, um, I got some some comments and some messages from from people who, um, you know, I, I knew were big UFO buffs, and they said I have never heard of this book. So I was like, ah, yay! Yeah, I dude, right. I never. Yeah, I was it's, stunned. Um, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It was it was really interesting. It was weird. It was one of those things yeah. you almost think like if it it would. You would think it was a joke if it was, if you didn't like confirm that it exists. Right. There there's some paragraphs in here that I'm pretty sure were, you know, just like a random word generator. That just <laughs> spat out some of the stuff. Like you know, plug in like the text of one hundred self help books and then hit a button and it spews out this random paragraph with sentences from all of them. Um, I would say that it's a it's a it's a hidden classic of the UFO genre, but it's not. It's it, it's actually pretty terrible as a book, and there's no real story to it. But it's an interesting it's an interesting artifact. Um, I I half think that this was just a book of things that that Helen had wanted to say to people for years, and somebody told her back in 1997, which was you know 50th anniversary of Roswell and UFOs were everywhere. You know, just slap UFO on the cover. You know, make a UFO story out of it. Um, yeah. I don't know. She, uh, she, she died did she uh, ever, years ago. Was she ever – now, you say it's in the lending library of the MUFON group. Yes, like, Michigan she, MUFON, yeah. Did she ever, like, appear anywhere? And, like, did she ever get into the circuit, or was she just, she just wrote this shit out and, and was – I think she just wrote the book, um, and uh, I, I think that's all – uh, all there is, there is one two-star review on Amazon. Two stars. There's another, there's another book um, called Rejection and Betrayal Gave Me the Strength to Succeed, also published in, uh, in 1997. This was written before the UFO book. Uh, it's out of stock, but there's some used ones out there for like seven bucks, and I'm strongly tempted to buy one uh, because why not? Right. Actually, I'd be interested to see how similar it is to the UFO thing. Uh, she writes the book full stuff. Nobody buys it. Um, she writes the same thing with the word UFO in the title. Maybe that had uh, – well, it had at least one more rating on Amazon. Oh. So, 
So, so why you can't? It's be. not. I assume it's out of print. But like, are there even any copies available on there, or is it like um, extravagant? Like? There are. Um, I'm looking at it right now. There are five copies available on Amazon, and. Um, eight copies of the UFO book. So five copies of the Rejection and Betrayal, eight copies of the UFO book. Folks out there in Banal land, you know, let's make it happen for the, uh, the heirs of Helen Gizmondi or whoever is selling the used copies of her remainder book. And uh, let's see if we can snap up all eight copies of A UFO Appears Tonight. Um, <laughs> will you stand with me, America, and buy Helen's book? I don't blame you if you don't. It sounds pretty uh, – I almost do kind of want to have it as like a kitschy uh, curio <laughs> for my library now. Um, what I find interesting, I'm sure we've talked about this in the past, but I don't know if we've taken it up to the modern level in a sense because uh, I've been kind of perturbed lately in the last few years by a lot of things, but <laughs> this one this one stands out. Um, I've In the past with like Nick Redfern, like I said, I'm pretty sure you've explored on the show sort of the – evolution of from like contactee abductees but this is, seems to be like a weird modern uh phenomenon now where it's like it's it's bifurcated into into i i would i guess you would call them like obviously like experiencers or people who aren't really sure what happened to them but i think err on the more negative side and yeah. and these and those we we don't really need to get into them they're kind of like the modern abductees but the other part is like these people who claim that they are that, that they're sort of like cohabitating with the aliens, that they're friendly right. with these. There's a girl, I don't wanna besmirch her or whatever, but she's her thing is that like she has a bunch of alien babies. I don't remember her name, but she's uh, a woman, excuse me. Oh, who, uh, man. I forget her name. She's on Facebook. She's been in the Daily Mail and all those places. She does all these circuits and stuff. But it's like who are who are these people? Like why it's a very weird thing. It's like a new, it's a new contactee era. It is. Um, and I think, I think the sort of point of divergence in the whole culture, and, and this is just my theory, I think that when the exopolitics movement came along in the early 2000s and started talking about, especially early on, that there was a heavy emphasis on getting away from uh, that alien technology that's been hidden to help us get away with fossil fuels, fix the environment, do things like that. You started to have the modern sort of sort of conspiracy-based UFO belief system overlap with the, uh, with the you know, social progress messages of the contactee era. And I think what has ended up happening is there's been, like you said, a rash of, of sort of encounter ex- or experiencers and having encounters where they have this message that are bringing back from the aliens, but the cultural sort of image of how one encounters aliens is so wrapped up in the, in the abduction experience that we're getting stories of, I was abducted by the greys and they told me they want to save the earth, yeah. which is completely weird. Um, and, and what I also find is a lot of people, um, when, when I was uh, a couple weeks ago, when I was up at uh, Shag Harbor in Nova Scotia, uh, courtesy of, of Paul Kimball and the good folks up there, uh, they had a panel. It's an alien abductee panel. So I went to this panel, 
And um, there were two sisters who had multiple experiences over, you know, over the course of their lives. And as I'm listening to this, um, these are these are positive encounters. They have some sort of deep personal connection to these uh, these beings that they've uh, that they that they've visited with, and, and they've helped fly the spaceships. They're they sort of identify them as, as being akin to the Norse gods. Um, and they're Scandinavian in heritage, and they make a connection there. And I'm sitting here listening. I was like, this is a contactee story. Right, right. This isn't, this isn't an abduction encounter. This is, this is my, my friendly space brother, not in a, a sort of condescending way, but that's, that's what the story is. And, and I, um, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, make a point during, you know, one of the Q&A sessions when I was, uh, sort of talking about you know the the you know resurgence and recurrence of, of contact electors. I wanted to sort of get on my soapbox and give a sermon about that. You know what? Don't don't allow anybody to call you an abductee. Call yourself an experiencer. Make other people call you call you an experiencer. Yeah. Let's resurrect and reclaim the term contactee away from the the shysters and hucksters of the fifties and sixties who kind of sullied that for a lot of people. So. You know, let's uh, let's reclaim it. Let's take it back. Let's not uh, allow it to be uh, be a pejorative. They, those those two women had a very very interesting story. Um, it's one of those stories that that you're probably only going to get a little, um, you know, relatively small UFO convention um, in uh, a little town on the edge of nowhere on the Atlantic Ocean in Nova Scotia, where local people are telling local stories. These, these are these are uh, not to denigrate, you know, um, forcing people to buy them drinks and, and listen to their alien stories. Uh, yeah. You know, these are, you know, normal working folks, and they had some strange experiences, and they have a story to tell. And, and you could tell them a little nervous about telling the story, you know, probably because they, they worried people would think they were weird. And they were telling the story, you know, in a lot of ways, in front of in front of their neighbors, because um, there were a lot of locals. Because the, the Shag Harbor crash is a very you know, local story, and it was sort of a local history of that. So it was really great to see that. But I I, I agree with you. I, I think there's this trend, this sort of bifurcation of of abductees and and more benign, pleasant, positive experiences uh, breaking off. And uh, and I I tend to think that that the the rise of the exopolitics movement had at least a little bit to do with that, and the disclosure movement. How so? Um, because I, I think it resurrected that idea that um, that the when aliens talking, are like on our friends, our friends and shit. There are friends, and and more broadly, it resurrected the idea that that talking about aliens could have a social message. Um, you could say things about issues of war and peace and the I environment see. and poverty and things like that. So it sort of brought back that uh, that social justice side of it that that really had been missing during the 1990s and, and the 1990s and the 80s and 90s were very much about we are inserting three millimeter spherical objects inside their brain cavity through their nose, right, right, you know, and, and, and things like that. So um, we sort of returned to the the, the the socially progressive um, aliens, uh, which honestly, if you look at if you look at the channeled stuff, you know Ashtar Command and Tuella and, and those people during the 80s and in the, even into the 90s, 
that stuff never completely went away. Um, I think the nuts and bolts flying saucer thing morphed into the abduction thing and sort of with Betty and Barney Hill sort of being the catalyst for that. And I think the hardcore contactees of the 50s and 60s go on to, they sort of evolve into the channelers of the 70s and 80s. Because you can have the entire message without the, uh, without the hassle of having to prove a physical encounter. <laughs> yeah, having to um, get the aliens so like, to show up. Yeah, it's, it's, and George Hunt Williamson was doing that back in uh, back in the fifties with uh, his automatic writing messages that he was getting from. This is my favorite alien name ever: Na Nine of the Solar X Federation, oh, or wow. Solar X Council, or something like that. Na Nine. How do you spell that? Sounds, N-A, N-A number nine or N-A-N-I-N-A? N-A, uh, it's N-A-H uh, oh. hyphen nine. Uh, the number nine. So the number, the number nine. Yeah, <laughs> and um, NAH nine, and uh, it's um, yeah, I think it was in his book, uh, The Saucers Speak, uh, where he talked about that, uh, and it's the uh, um, George Hunt Williamson was a was an interesting guy. He's probably going to be a um, a uh, a future saucer a, life. A, a future saucer life. Yeah. I've got some uh, the second series that I'm planning out now that starts next uh, next Tuesday. Nice. It will drop. Um, it's uh, I I'm, I've got some empty slots, and I think George Hunt Williamson might be one of them. Uh, this this six episodes is going to be um, it, it's going to be about half contactees. Uh, the, the six episode block, and um, the the premiere the the season premiere after a, a gap of the same two weeks as we always have between episodes <laughs> is um, it's I you should call it the next chapter it's called the next the chapter, next chapter. I, I I might change the the notes the play at the beginning that that might be our big change it's gonna be like you know second season of Star Trek the next generation where they had slightly different shares but nothing else had changed yeah um, I the, the season premiere on uh, the 24th is, is going to be about the OH krill document Yes, uh, I can't wait to hear that. That appeared in 1988, and, and sort of where that came from, and, and the impact that uh, that that whole scene had. Uh, I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be referencing our our buddies John Lair, you know, and oh, Bill nice. Cooper and, and John Grace. So um, is John Lair still around? Oh yeah, John Lair's still around. Okay, okay. Um, I think I think his ex sister-in-law was on an episode of Hoarders. A few really? seasons ago, yeah. How do you know was, that sort oh, of thing? Because I love watching Porters. And how um, <laughs> <and laughs> you recognize John Lear's former sister-in-law? Because because the the description said she was the and, and in the episode they say she is the ex, her ex-husband was the son of William Lear, and it wasn't it was John Lear's brother basically. Ah. So it was one of one of uh, one of Lear's other. I was like, wow. I was like. Oh, my wife, you know who that is? That's the ex-sister-in-law of a guy who said some fine saucer stuff back in the 80s. Exactly, which, yeah. Which, when you say that all out loud, sounds really fanboyish. That, uh, you know, that's, are, people say, are you a saucer believer? Are you a, do you believe in UFOs? And I say, I'm really kind of a fanboy. I, I'm not really a believer, but I really like it. And I believe Something weird is going on with a lot of these people, but I think to say it's it's flying saucers is is so boring, you know. That's 
Maybe it's maybe we need to reclaim UFO buff. <laughs> you know, I think I think we do. I, I, I think and, and I think we need to reclaim buff from uh, you know. Sort that's, of a, yeah, a, that's like a pejorative a, too. Yeah, a buff. A, a buff is the guy at the bar who won't shut up about whatever his hobby is. And and so when you say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a history buff, I'm like, oh, God, you just watched like 18 hours of documentaries and you're going to ask me if I knew this yeah. and if I knew that for the next 20 minutes. And it's like, oh, oh no, i got to get out of here. But, um, yeah, I, I think I, I think reclaiming, uh, reclaiming UFO fandom and, uh, and things like that might be uh, might be an interesting project because, you know, when you um, when you look at, at old guys like uh, like Richard Shaver and his Hollow Earth stuff, there were people and still are people who believe, you know, almost literally in the truth of his stories about the Deros and the Taros in the Hollow Earth. But the people who were, you know, his biggest sort of people who followed his work and everything in the 60s and 70s, they described themselves as fans and they created fanzines. And it, it was a very different sort of, it was much more akin to, um, to science fiction fandom than it was to UFO belief, even though there were some overlaps in the ideas. And, and you know, and Shaver himself you know, claimed there was, there was some kind of, you know, substantive truth to his stories, that they weren't, uh, that they weren't fiction. Um, but, but that became a fandom, whereas UFOs, because of, you know, people like Donald Kehoe pushing the, you know, these are physical craft and we are going to get information and study these physical craft and it becomes a science thing. You can't really be a fan of a science thing um, and you can't be a fan of a, of a religious thing on sort of the contact the channeling side. Yeah. You, have to be a, you have to be a believer or somebody who accepts that this is a possibility. Um, you can't just be a fan of the personalities and a fan of the stories and Actually, with the podcast, one of the things I want to do is I want to kind of bring that idea back, that it isn't a question of I believe it, I disbelieve it. This is a cool story, and I think it's pretty interesting. And, and I think that's a, a healthy way to look, uh, to look at a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you have to. Uh, I, yeah, I agree on that because if, if anything, it's – I'm not really a big fan of a lot of ideas in this field, but I'm a big fan of a lot of the people. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, that's 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 a much more accurate description of how I see a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, you know, there are there are people who I've I've met and I, I I like a lot, and and I don't agree with a single thing they say. Right. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, who who cares? You know, we'll we'll get a beer or we'll talk on Facebook and and you know whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. Or the opposite, um, where it's like I wouldn't want to hang out with them, but I think they're kind of crazy, and I like their their, their crazy well, story. Well, I've got a whole list of those people too, <laughs> it, it, like people who are like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to hang out if I'm you know near Detroit?" But no, no, no. I, I think I'm busy whenever you're here. Because you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you you never know, you never know with some people. Um, there are there are some nuts out there. There are some strange yeah. folks. That's a hold on. I, no, that's a, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I could be one of those strange folks, you know. <laughs> you never know. Here's what I was talking about with this thing with these modern uh, contactees. It's from the Express last October. It says the U.S. based hybrid the the U.S. based hybrid children community is trying to recruit more parent breeders in a bid to evolve the human race into a new subspecies, which will take over the earth, 
when the children currently conveniently housed on giant spaceships return to our planet. And it says, women in the group who include young, glamorous 20-somethings even claim mating with the reptile-like lizards was the best sex they had ever experienced. And, uh, oh, like, oh, my. It, for real, it's like an Antonio Villaboas uh, modern day. Yeah. yeah. And although, look or, at now, it, it, and then I read down the article, it says, the community was founded by Sharon McCormick, aged in her 60s, and former marketing executive, Miss Nielsen. Miss Nielsen's one of the 20-somethings. Wow. Uh, it's very, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link. You can look, yeah, look at what the... Absolutely. Times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. And we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But, brother, I am bad, and they know I'm bad. It's interesting that I found that little tidbit at the end because it raised a question I wanted to ask of you to sort of tie this all together was uh, – have you ever looked at these groups that are still in existence? Because, you know, we talked about how you can't really meet any contactees anymore and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, when I was out in L.A. for Paramania 2 in uh, last April, we went to uh, the Ethereum Society. And then, oh, yeah. yeah. And then, um, then I went down to the one in San Diego uh, like a week later. Unarius. Yeah, so I went to the Ethereum Society and then I went to Unarius. Uh, if you ever get out to California, dude, you should do that because they they have legit like headquarters that are like stepping back into the contactee era in a huge way. You know, there's, there's a, pictures uh, there's on my a, Facebook. If you have, you should look at. <laughs> I think I remember seeing those. Yeah, um, they're mind, a, mind blowing. A, there's an Ethereum Society uh, church. I don't know down uh, down in suburban Detroit. You actually. should check it out. I know. I'm not sure if it's still open. Um, I first heard about it years and years ago. But, you know, actually, um, I thought about looking at some of these modern groups, but then I realized that, that I'm really more of a historian than, you know, by training than I am a sociologist or, or an anthropologist. So yeah, yeah. Deal, dealing with people who aren't dead, man, that's, Harder than that's, a, that's a hassle. And they, they talk back to you. So, <laughs> Dead people are awesome, um, but yeah, this this we were abducted by aliens. Uh, the beautiful women who claim he's got them pregnant. This is this is nuts because you know what? You and I are not so young that we don't remember a time when talk of human alien hybrids coming back to Earth was what they told us to terrify us, right? This is like this is what the that this is why the Greys are taking our DNA. They're creating these hybrids. The idea of these, these alien human hybrids. This was a bad thing. And and here these folks um, these folks look uh, look happy, and or insane. Yeah, uh, it's a it's so, a weird movement. It's a weird movement. Yeah. Well, those groups. I mean, I don't know. You'd have to. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. 
I, I was just like, uh, maybe I'll look into them more. Because <laughs> they're like, yeah. to me, they're, they really are like, that. that's probably the closest you can get to a con because they're like little time capsules, uh, right. you know, um, from God knows how long. I assume at least from the 70s, but I'm not sure. You well, know? the Serious Society was founded back in the 50s. And they must have had so, that. I mean, they have some sweet property, like right in the middle of L.A. So it's like, and it's inside. They have this elaborate church, um, and like, and the stuff you see from Contact here, like paintings, like freaky paintings of like UFOs and shit. It's really like right. you're like, what is this, this place? Yeah. yeah actually, I, I follow the Ethereum Society on Instagram, so occasionally <laughs> they will, they will, and, and just. That's a sentence that shouldn't exist, but I follow the Ethereum Society on Instagram. It shouldn't exist. I mean, George King would uh, actually, he'd probably be pretty chill with it. He, he was a, actually a pretty cool guy. But, yeah, he'd be sorry. Um, yeah, he'd be like, wow, we can, in a deep, rich British voice, we can communicate with all these people um, instantly. Is, is this alien technology? Is this technology from our space brothers? Um but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how some of these uh, some of these things survive, and the line between a a sort of saucer religious organization like the Ethereum Society, and and on the spectrum between that and um, you know Heaven's Gate, you know, so sort of the, the sort of more sinister cult things, and then you know there's all sorts of talk about the the Raelian Society up in Canada, you know, with their, their cloning efforts. Oh, yeah, like the Raelians, that. yeah. There's, uh, there's, some weird, there's some weird stuff out there. And I, um, I, I think it's, it, it, if you trace these things back, you know, we, you know, some of it took the form of uh, spiritualist organizations in the, in the 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, these things, they keep evolving. Religions keep evolving. Religions and, and religious ideals and things like that change to reflect the, the times and the culture uh, in which they live. So it, it, it doesn't really surprise me that there are these UFO organizations that have these more religious overtones. What does surprise me is that something like the Sirius could keep going so long after, after George King, uh, you know, transcended to the next level or whatever he did. Um, but what's really interesting is, is reading uh, Jacques Vallée's uh, Messengers of Deception yeah. and, and seeing Marshall Applewhite talked about as a, as a UFO cult leader back in 1978 or 1979. And that's just, you know, it's, it's people were like, when it, I remember when it happened, like, well, how, who was this person? Who, why did nobody see this coming? It's like, well, people have been seeing this coming and this guy's weird. He's been weird for 20 years. But, yeah. uh, it's crazy. You know, yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's just yeah, 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 yeah. People, it's like no one, no, no one had not heard of him. He was actually quite, quite prolific, I guess, or right. well I mean, known. As far as UFO cult leaders go, you know, yeah, Bowen Peep, you know, the Bowen Peep cult, right? And then Heaven's Gate with uh, the videos and the internet. I mean, that's that's one thing I I actually talk about Heaven's Gate my my U.S. history class because hey, why not? And um, it's uh, it's really interesting because. A lot of students don't, like younger students, like traditional student-age students, they don't see what's weird about the fact that this guy was putting videos up on the Internet. And I've sort of explained, in 1996, nobody was putting these videos like this up on the Internet. Like right, that. right. And this guy was doing, like, weird, rambly YouTube stuff before YouTube even existed, which is, which is sort, of, sort of, from a cultural point of view, 
pretty uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like he, he was com- he was committed. Clearly, he was committed to this cause. You can see it from the from, from there to the end. This guy was going to see it through. It's uh, yeah. it's yeah, it's bizarre. But weirdly enough, yeah, those groups are like. I marveled at this on the show before, so I apologize for repeating myself, folks. But it's like when we went to the Ethereum Society uh, last April, there was a young guy like 19 who who came up from Florida, wow. and he was like committed to the cause. You know, he had to come up and move there because he wanted to be even deeper into the Ethereum Society, and it was like that's that's <laughs> that's an interesting life. That's <laughs> like that's I want to see the world through his eyes if there was a way. <laughs> fucking remote view or something it's like what is i said to the guys i was like yes this is interesting this church and the and all this is fascinating but like i'd like to spend like a week in the barracks and see what that must be like because it's just you know like the guest house it's like what are they you know like do they ever let the facade down or is it like this are there just i have a million questions (laughs) yeah you know you know, they they got, like, the, the visitor center and all that stuff. But then, yeah, there are people who are – this is their life. And they're deeply invested in this. And that is that is a strange, strange sort of thing. But, you know, I, I, I have the same sort of interesting question. I'm, you know, similar fascination with the people who in 2017, you know, you know enter a monastery of some kind, you know. And, and, and yeah, or become priests, yeah. Yeah, I think of that, that cloistered life and that sort of ascetic – Self-denial. It's like, I mean, honestly, ours is not a culture that understands self-denial. You know, beyond a, you know, you're weird if you deny yourself things that you can have. Um, so it's it's a different sort of uh, a different sort of thing. But um, and it's you know maybe sometimes a little brainwashy. But uh, that's you know that's, yeah some, yeah that's what I wonder. You know, like this just in general, what's the <laughs> what's the vibe in 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 the uh, in the break room? Yeah. Right. Now yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining the Ethereum study break room. It's like the same sort of tile and, and beige paint and, and, and terrible chairs that yeah, every and that really old that microwave that's like yeah, that's somehow filthy. like at least a decade old. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, buttons are like half worn off and shit. Yeah. But there's always the one guy who always heats up his burrito in there, not realizing he's getting 18 diseases from the microwave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they put on the robes and go back, go back out and and you know talk to the Martians or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. But they all seem like very nice people, and they all seem yeah. like they were really like uh, like very guarded because because I think because of the Heaven's Gate thing. As long as you know, I think for right. as long as people know about that, they'll you know at, at Unarius they stressed that they were not a religion, that they were. Uh, they were like, I don't even know, a wellness center or something. Right. So. This is a, a center for philosophical study. Yeah. You know, sort of sort of thing. Yeah, Unarius. That's uh that's another one that's been around for you know a very long time. And uh was was it the Unarius Society that the uh when prophecy fails book was uh, written about? I'm not sure. I don't think so because it's still around, but I'd have to look. Yeah. I think I would remember that because uh Greg Bishop mentions that a lot, and and we've been down to Unarius, oh, so I figure it's yeah. something else. Um, yeah, there was a, a follow-up book called "When Prophecy Never Fails," and um, oh, is that Unarius? 
Yeah, that one's about, I think that one's about, uh, about yeah, yeah, Ruth Norman. I'll have yeah, to Ruth read Norman. that one because that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Sort of like it's how a, they keep I, it going. Uh, I, um, Diana Suminia, uh, When Prophecy Never Fails, Myth and Reality in a Flying Saucer Group. Um, and I'm, I just love that she, she said flying saucer and not UFO. That's what I mean, yeah, because that's still, yeah. I, think it's, I think you can kind of consider those groups Especially the ones that managed to like that came up in the con. I, I mean, that, that essentially have, the roots are in the contact era. So I guess they right. they count as flying saucery. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was uh, published in uh, in 2005 by Oxford University Press. Is it available? We use like, um, surfing yeah. Amazon while we. T- <laughs> you know, I am I am multi talented. Yeah, it's available. It's on Kindle for more fifty six dollars. Jesus, how how is what? I thought it's, Kindle was for like super. I thought it for Kindle was like five bucks or some shit. Like it always it's, had to be. It's That's an, bizarre. It's an academic press. I've got a book from uh, from Roman and Littlefield, an academic press, and the Kindle version is one penny less than the hard copy version, and it's like eighty eight dollars, Jesus, or something like that. I've sold. I've, I've more people have listened to any episode of my podcast than have bought that book. But uh, <laughs> but writing the book, you know, let me write off every X-Files DVD on my taxes. So I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, some of these, these academic, academic books are, are terrible. And interlibrary loan is, is the best way to get some of this stuff because, you know. Oh, that's true, they, yeah. They, they price this stuff to be purchased by university libraries. That's why the price is so high um, from academic presses. So, yeah. you know, I... That's why you know, students have said, oh, I heard you wrote books. Where can I buy your books? I'm like, you go to the library and you check the books out. You don't buy my books. That's, <laughs> that's, that's crazy talk. Don't buy my books. I, I got a day job. I'm doing okay. You don't need to go buy my books. Um, <laughs> use, that, use that money to buy your damn textbook. How about that? Could you do that for me? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, you know, it's like, ah, oh, you kids. I know you think it's exciting that I wrote a book, but it's, it's not. It's not, but um, yeah, the um, that when prophecy never fails, that's uh, that's a good one. She's like a sociologist. I'll check that out. How long is it? How long of a how, how many pages? It's uh, it's uh, well, I can look here on Amazon. Mm. Um, it's like customer 240, service. Two hundred forty pages, uh, hardcover. Yeah, it's uh, it's ranked uh, number eight hundred eighty-one in comparative religion. Nice. Well, I may actually shell out the fifty bucks just to read it because I'm fascinated by an area. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know uh, if I do. I, please do, because I the copy I got, I got it at a used bookstore for like five bucks. So. Oh, although you know. taking your advice, first I'll call my library and ask them if they can somehow get it. You know, and, and listeners out there, support your local libraries and support your local librarians by harassing them to get you every obscure flying saucer book that you could possibly imagine. They will love it. I assume they could use the company librarians. You know, it's so tough. On, a, I assume. In, a lot in of small them, towns, I think. In cities, they are all right, I bet. But in small towns, a lot of them, a lot of them could, I think. I know my wife gets a lot of library books, and and most of them are, you know, she she's able to get them on her Kindle. You know, she she doesn't actually have to go into the library. And uh, although at times we've been to our local library, they, they seem to wait. They can so, somehow send it to your Kindle via the library. Yes, the libraries can, libraries can subscribe and, and buy into these uh, these big sort of programs, and you you create a login with your library card number or whatever. And what? Then, you know, it's 
you check it out and it sends you a link and you click on it, it takes you to Amazon and you hit the button, it goes to your Kindle. And then it disappears off your Kindle three weeks later when the book's due. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. It's the damnedest oh thing I've ever seen. That's, this might be the greatest insight we've ever learned in the history of this program. It's like, exactly, you know, it's like a free yeah. – the library is going to like secretly use Sir for everybody. They're going to be like – like now you can now you can get a movie through the library for free sent to your right to your computer and people are gonna be like why am I paying for shit? Yeah, well you know what whenever whenever I see people like like milling around you know Barnes and Noble or something paying list price for books and twice as much as they should for DVDs I'm like one have you never heard of Amazon? Two have you never heard of a library? You know, this book looks interesting but. I don't know. I guess I'll buy it. I don't know if I really want to read it, but this is what libraries exist for. It's for reading books you're not quite sure about. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to one-man crusade to remind people that libraries are a thing. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm intrigued enough to, like, go to my library and figure out why it's not, like, uh, as inviting as Barnes & Noble. Because they have chairs and shit. I don't yeah. know. They Maybe they need... I'm gonna have to look. Maybe they need to like reposition the book so there's one facing out all the time on <laughs> on every. You know, thing. Like, a, I, like if they if they designed the library like a retail store, maybe they could fool people <laughs> into going. You know, there are there are libraries. Um, when I lived in near Evansville, Indiana, the library there um, had just had a complete sort of remodel and uh, and redecoration, and it was. It was there were parts of it that were kind of like going to Barnes and Noble. The, the the section with the DVDs to check out was it was nice. They were on these like cool spinners and everything. It was uh, it was pretty neat. Um, yeah. I, now actually, what I what I will recommend what I will recommend that everybody out there, including you, Tim, do is go to your local library and check out what UFO books they have because I can almost guarantee they will have a book that you cannot imagine why they have this book. It will be a book that is weird. It will be a book I've seen. Like, you know something? Weird. I haven't never been even. I haven't. I feel terrible now, but yeah, I think about that because I go to Barnes and Noble and I look through the UFO section, and it's like, I, I just, I guess, I just assume that my library will be like my shitty high school library where it was like they had one shelf, but maybe they yeah. won't. Well, <laughs> I don't, hope don't, they you, won't. Don't, don't you live in Boston? Oh, I live in the suburbs. Well, you can get to Boston. I suppose, yeah, for sure. I can definitely yeah, do that. Yeah. I, I imagine that the libraries and even the Boston suburbs are, are probably pretty amazing. Um, I little town I lived in once, uh, I went to the library, and they had the original hardcover first edition of uh, Passport to Magonia there on the shelf. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. And I was like, if I tell them I've lost this book, would I just have to pay whatever they paid for the book? But then I realized that... Ripping off the libraries is probably, you know, that's that's some bad. Uh, yeah. That's bad. I don't. I don't want to be that guy. Especially when you're on the radio, radio being like, support <laughs> <laughs> your local library. library, and then it's like, yeah. dude, you got arrested for stealing <laughs> stealing passport to Magonia. Uh, unless, unless this is all just an elaborate story to cover up the fact that I did swipe the books in the library. It's like, haha! I'll tell them I thought about it, but didn't. Then they'll never suspect that I did. That's true. And who would suspect the guy who's the super pro library guy to steal a book? That yeah. No one will ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm, You've confessed I'm, I'm the living, crime right here on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm living an elaborate, I'm living an elaborate double life where I'm trying to take down small town libraries one by one. Well, I was thinking as we were talking about that, what, what makes it more 
I bet you there's a library that has this. I think Greg Bishop's wife is a librarian. Maybe she'll find this part of the show yeah. interesting. But uh, I wonder if you could do this, and I bet you some libraries have, but they should just put a little coffee shop in the library. Somehow. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. Because it, makes, it yep. makes perfect sense. Like if you're – I mean, half the reason people go to like those places is because they can get a coffee and then they walk around and look at the books. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, coffee shop in the library, that's uh, especially in, in, in bigger towns and cities. I've uh, I've seen that. It's it's pretty cool. It's a good way for the library to raise some money. A lot of times they have uh, like small libraries will have volunteers staff it. You know, friends of the library group yeah. volunteers doing that. So boosters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's it's like you know the the basketball boosters at your local high school. Only it's for the library. So, <laughs> uh, well, I'll do it if my library doesn't have a library cat. I'm not a fan of those. <laughs> library cats, yeah. It's, you know those I, are real things. Like it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I think it's I think it's weird and off putting. I don't want to go and see an animal running around. You know, spraying all over books I might take into my home. I, <laughs> I am not, I am not down with that. The kids say. I hope the library so. cat isn't peeing on the texts, but you never know. I'm pretty sure if there's a library cat, it is peeing on the text. So <laughs> I, I think that's probably why they have the library cat, so they can, so they can say, well, hey, you know, we're gonna get back to these people who voted down raising taxes to support the library. We're gonna. Get We're gonna send books soaked in cat piss into their homes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long, long-range conspiracy. It's all a diabolical plot. Uh, now, somebody asked on Facebook if we were going to talk about this. I don't even really feel like talking about it, but I feel like we should. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Because um, yeah. it's all. We did a show the night before it happened last week, where Josh Kutch and I were just laughing about how ridiculous it would be, and then uh, Tom DeLong had the big. Uh, Tom DeLong announcement. And it was just interesting being on Facebook. Uh, I didn't see it as much on Twitter. I don't think I'm as connected to the UFO scene on Twitter as I am on Facebook, but it was like yeah. just seeing this just wave of of reactions like you like like you would normally see like at the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, but with all the people who normally won't post during the Super Bowl who are like this Tom DeLong the time was like just a stream of of opinions and stuff and hot takes. Just a yeah, lots of hot yeah. takes. So many hot takes on Tom DeLong and to the stars, the the to the stars Academy and entertainment company. Yes. Um, of some sort. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I'm jaded and cynical about everything, but I am no more jaded and cynical about anything than I am about UFO disclosure. And I am, it, in, like, impossibly cynical when UFO disclosure includes, you know, the idea that, well, we've got some insiders from the intelligence and defense community who are going to tell us a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, like hell they are. They're going to tell you things that it's in their best interest to be out in the public. Right. And, I mean, not to be one of these paranoid guys, well, they're former people. There are no former intelligence people. Right, right. Two of them, like they said, quit the day before they went to the panel. So it's like... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I, I, I've thought since the beginning with the whole secret machines and when he started making these these sort of preliminary pronouncements that, that Tom DeLong seems like a, a guy who is 
genuinely interested in this stuff and genuinely thinks that he is going to get to something that is the truth. And I think that there are people who, for whatever reason, um, you know, see an opportunity to use that for their own uh, for their own purposes. Um, and and you know, I mean, we've you know, I've, I've you know, there's people online who whose opinion I, I I think is pretty much okay. Who said you know, at the very least, what we have are you know some some more information about how seriously the defense establishment takes UFOs. Well. I mean, I hate to be that guy, but I'm not surprised that, say, the Air Force takes things that we don't know the identity of in our skies seriously. I've, I've never doubted that they take it seriously. Um, I don't think there's a revelation there. I think the real revelation is the fact that this new company that they're selling shares of is sort of guaranteed or obligated to give Tom DeLonge 100000 a year no matter how little money they take in. Right, right. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's a huge disclosure that um, part of the purpose of this new company, if I read the disclosures right, is to cover the debts of previous enterprises that have gone on. Right. Um, th- this, is, this is a money-making operation, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but and you know what? I think there might be some. I don't doubt there will be some good entertainment coming out of this from the <laughs> entertainment division. Absolutely. I, in, in you know. Oh, every I thought sense, you meant every sense of the word. You know, there, there will probably be. Some I thought you cool, meant the Shroud, Schadenfreude way. <laughs> you know, well, well, it isn't isn't ufology ninety percent Schadenfreude? Pretty you know, much. It, it really is. You know, it's like. Oh, we can read the placard on your Roswell slide. Oh, how does that feel, Jaime Massan? <laughs> um, how does it feel that you just have to focus? But um, yeah, it, it's. I, I think it's it's um, it's more uh, it's more red meat for the disclosure crowd, and uh, and there's always money in promising something that people have have wanted. For for a very long time, I think we will learn things from uh, from this project. I just don't think they're necessarily the things people want to learn. I think I think we're going to learn that that sometimes celebrities are gullible, and that's that and that's just that's what I think. And I know, I know there, are, there are people who I who I'm friendly with who who are excited and optimistic, and and that's great. I think it's. I'm kind of envious that they can be excited and optimistic about this because I just see another another UFO disclosure thing. Yeah. This is because I knew people who were excited about the citizens' hearings on disclosure. Yes, you know, yeah, I remember this, this is gonna this <laughs> oh, is gonna yeah. break up the log jam. You know, this is gonna this is gonna end the truth embargo. I bought this the full DVD a, set. It's like <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why some you know some clown already ripped it and put it on YouTube? Man. Exactly. Don't pay for this. Um, but yeah, you know that was like it's, it's a government hearing. It's not a government hearing. It's a bunch of former people who used to be in government who've been paid twenty five thousand dollars to act like they're at a government hearing. It, it, oh, yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I said on Facebook, it's like, and it seems like prevalent. Rightly so. The prevalent opinion from in the UFO circles I travel in is like the money. Pro, the money aspect is the problem. I don't. I mean, and mm-hmm. like you said, no one's begrudging this dude 
for trying to make money, but it's like you're not going to get my money, man. You right. know, because it's to me, right. it seems like it's a money grab. Um, and if they didn't, I'm all for the idea in in theory on paper, but at the same time, it's like do it, go do it. Don't ask for my right. money, man. Like you're the rock star. Go, go, go form your academy and. Develop some stuff. I've been hearing about you for like three years. Just go do it. And... <laughs> I, I know. This has been going on forever. And, you know, I almost I almost read, um, I thought about reading Secret Machines, but I, I looked at it on Amazon. And it was like 400 pages or something like that. I, I don't have time to read somebody's 400-page UFO novel. Right, right. That's based on reality. But um, I, I was intrigued by the, uh, the involvement of Peter Wabenda. In it because uh, I think Lavenda's written some really sort of interesting stuff, and uh, I don't want to say Lavenda is slumming by hanging hanging around the UFO scene, but um, I was actually kind of surprised to uh, to see his involvement with yeah. uh, with some of it because I don't know, he just that doesn't seem like his I don't know it doesn't seem like his thing right right. And and the interesting part is because they're coming at it like a corporation uh, that they, yeah. I mean, it didn't. This this in, these insights didn't reach like the people that that they want to reach anyway. But it's like the UFO crowd, much like the Roswell slides, like immediately dug in and dissected these like elaborate financial papers to uncover shit right. that was like, okay, they're going to pay this guy a hundred thousand. This is why this and you know, like one of the quotes was like. We currently don't have any money to operate this whatsoever. Something crazy like that, you know, like <laughs> where it was really, it was it was quite something to see the sort of collective like uh, swarm on this idea. Like I said, go, dude, go do it, man. I don't care, like go do it. But anyone who invests yeah. in this really should think twice. I yeah, I I don't. I mean, I can see people investing as, I mean, I've seen people say, yeah, it's 200 bucks, who cares? You know, it, it, it'll be fun to, you know, get the updates or whatever. It, it's like the world's worst Kickstarter. That's what I was going to say. It, I was going to say, like, you don't want to crowdfund with the UFO crowd. Because right. they, I mean, they, are, they are really not, you'll, you'll get more money if you want to make, like, some funky comic book from, comic, like, any entertainment, <laughs> entertainment fandom. Yeah. The UFO fandom is, very tight-fisted. We are. I mean, I mean, seriously, I've, I've been like five bucks a month for a coast-to-coast membership. Oh, screw that. You know, somebody will put it up on YouTube eventually. You know, it's like, or I'll, I'll stay up late and find a station that's streaming it, you know, and, and you know, put through the little AM stations to have a working link to their audio feed. And I'm not paying. I, I did for a while. It's like it's a slight rant about this. At least when I joined the, what is it, Coast to Coast Insiders? Is that it's a, Yeah. I, the the MP3s, they, I, I understand licensing and stuff, but they cut off the bumper music. Yeah, well, they hit the, me for that, too, dude. I used to play awesome uh, uh, music, and, like, they get on you. I mean, obviously, you'd think that they would pay the money, but I guess it's extravagant. I don't know, you know? You know, I, I, can, I can see it if it was still, like, Art Bell's Chancellor Broadcasting Corporation that was, you know, running the thing. But it's, it's, it's freaking clear channel. You know, you'd think that they would just have a blanket license. Yeah, it would make sense. I don't know. Up yeah. to a certain amount. But all I know is is that 
I didn't have the, the bumper music and then the, <laughs> you know, and it was just like all of a sudden, boom, there's George Norrie talking to me. And I'm like, that's off-putting. But, all right. You know, I'll pass I, I that need, feedback along to my friends. I need the bumper music. And um, I, I physically need the – it's not coast-to-coast coast without the bumper music. All right. No other thing I listen to has bumper music, and I don't care. But coast-to-coast coast needs the bumper music. It, it, it's part of the part of the whole aesthetic. And, you I'll, know, I'll, the, I'll ask to see if they what the story is with that. Yeah, it's like, well, we can either have the bumper music or we can have the show on the air. We don't have the money to do both. It's like, oh, you know, I, I imagine. <laughs> I have you know, no I idea. Like, I'm sure there's all kinds but, of legalities involved, but, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll it, send it up the, <laughs> the flagpole. How do we, we get on this? I don't know. I, I do this. I, 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 I kill I kill interviews. No, <laughs> you know what? Right. You know what really grinds my gears. Is oh, the Tom DeLonge thing. Yeah. So we're we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're Tom, Tom DeLonge. So yeah. Um, yeah. The asking for money part is is ridiculous in a sense. It's just I think that just put everybody who's in ufology off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, hey man, we need money. <laughs> like we don't. You know, some people can't even buy groceries. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's what it, I hear. The, you know, the economy is improving, but it's tough for some people out there. It absolutely and, is. You know, young families, the elderly have a really tough time. Mm. You know, it, it's, you know, and expecting people to, to pay money for for something that doesn't even exist. I can see paying it for, like, you know, somebody's Patreon. I think that's, I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, you're getting something. Cool. They didn't really say you know, what you're getting. You don't get anything. Yeah, yeah. It is the world's is, worst Kickstarter. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a Kickstarter where, like, nothing's guaranteed, folks. It's like, what the hell am I doing? It's because they frame it as an investment. And I'm sorry, with, with most investments, you have a little more to go on than we got some, we got some insiders. We're going to do some movies. We got the guy from Blink-182. Yeah, what the hell could go wrong with this, right? You know, it's a license to print money, isn't it? It, 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 If they were just asking for donations, I'd roll my eyes and be like, yeah, okay. But, you know, framing it as an investment is is just... Tawdry. It it is tawdry. It's tawdry and it's, it's kind of silly and... You know that, and then when you read the disclosures, and you're like, you know, this is engineers. So Tom DeLong gets 100 grand every year, no matter what. It's like, oh well, now I understand, you know, yeah. what his angle is, and I don't blame him. If I were able to come up with a contract where, you know, once we form this thing, people pay me 100 grand a year, no matter how little money we have, that's that's awesome. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, that's pro I'm, wrestling, man. That's it <laughs> is. He knows it how is. To, he's a worker. It's a work. Yeah. <laughs> Tom DeLong is kayfabing the marks. Exactly. You know, and um, and and more power to him. It's uh, well, the the whole UFO field is is one step removed from the carnies. You know, it's there's a lot of you know carny overtones. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you made me think there earlier when you made a point about these guys uh, that. And then I sort of like thought it through as we were talking. It's like, yeah, these guys left their jobs at the Department of Defense like the two the week before the the uh, the event. But it's like I didn't get the imp- 
I didn't get the impression. Maybe maybe if you asked like Steve Bassett, he would tell you they were like frantically running down the halls of the Pentagon with papers flying out like in a movie and shit. But it's like I didn't get the impression to throw it back to the pro wrestling analogy that these guys like turned heel or turned face. Like right. these dudes they didn't just betray the government right now by being involved with this. I assume like this did not come as a surprise to the halls of power that are guarding the UFO secret. Right. Yeah. This, this is, this is not like, Oh, oh, what a sudden change of heart that they're going to, you know, possibly, you know, the thing is somebody brought up a good point. You know, these, the security oaths, these guys sign don't expire at retirement. So either they're going to violate the security oaths or what they're going to tell you isn't covered by the security oaths. Right. And, the first thing isn't very likely. The second thing is likely, but means you aren't going to get any information that is either true or if it's true, not information you couldn't find somewhere else. Right, right, right. That's the that's the weird part. And it's like again, it's like they're not they're not going behind the government's back. Clearly the government knows what you know. I, I don't want to say they're like in on it, but they're Accepting of it, I guess. So you would think, you know, you think this would be like scandalous, but it's not. Right. And it's kind of portrayed that way in some circles where it's like, these guys just jump ship. It's like, yeah. no, they didn't jump ship. Man, they're, they're you know, hero badasses who are, who are standing up for the truth. It, it, yeah. And it, it, it's not. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, I don't care either way. I think it's just fun watching. You know, it's oh, fun yeah, watching I mean, the reactions. And, you know, I, I, I think I, uh, I don't know who said it, but there was a comment, I don't know if it was on UFO Updates, the UFO Updates group or, or somewhere on, uh, on Facebook or Twitter. Somebody turned Benowitz into a, into a, uh, a, a verb, you know, and belongs being Benowitz. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Because that's, I think, you know, people were saying that, Two years ago, when this stuff started, like this is very Paul Benowitzy. We, you know, we've got somebody saying, you know, I've got people on the inside feeding me information, and uh, coincidentally, it's 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 what I already suspected. So, you know, just run with that. Right. Yeah. And the funny thing is, too, uh, Somebody, somebody may think it's like this is trying to have a bake sale to build a spaceship, but it, also when you look at like their rollout, it's like when you do – I know we're probably unfairly comparing this to a Kickstarter, but it's like when you do one of those things, there's like an end game. There's like one end game. Their right. thing is like we're going to do 17 different things. <laughs> like just pick yeah. one thing. Just pick the one thing that costs the least and do that, and then come back to us and let us know how that worked out. And if it was a fucking roaring success <laughs> – then, we'll give you more money. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll give you money, period. We'll start to give you money. <laughs> like, right. You know? Yeah. Demonstrate, you know, some kind of, of, of substantive proof of concept for yeah, yes. whatever you're, you're going to do. Something a little bit more than there was a UFO that appeared near the USS Nimitz. It's like, okay, that's dynamite, but I think I've read about that before, so that isn't new information. Well, it's new information that we cared so much. You know, it, it's 
Yeah, that's um, the spin on it, right? Yeah. That yeah. Like, what, what are they implying, know, like, what, look more into it? Like, is this, this yeah. one of those, like, Stan Friedman goes to the National Archives and finds a memo type of thing? I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, the, that's the sort of vibe I got from it was, well, you may have known this happened, but what you didn't know is that there was an email sent from one desk in the Pentagon to another desk in the Pentagon saying, hey, you know anything about this? No, which is... <laughs> right, right. Which, yeah, I would expect to happen. I, you know, the Air Force cares about things that are in the air. The Navy cares about things that are near their ships. That's, you know, I, it just takes me back, like, the first, like, really sort of hardcore UFO-type book I read back in high school was, um, was uh, Howard Bloom's Out There. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where I learned about the MJ-12 papers and, and all that stuff. And, and the conclusion was, you know, the, the defense establishment is very interested in UFOs, and it's very interested because it has no idea what they are. And they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, the idea that some of the disinformation that might be flying around is to camouflage the fact that maybe those in charge aren't fully sure what's going on with some of these things. Mm. But uh, they, you know, it's better to have a conspiracy theory out there that they know everything and they've got, they've got treaties with, you know, 34 of the 72 alien species <laughs> that live on the earth. And, uh, you know, they, they know everything and control everything because reality is, you know, they don't know everything and they can't control anything, which is much scarier. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're heading toward the end. Can I keep you a little past yeah. the hour? I won't keep you too long. Yeah, yeah, a little bit past the hour is fine. All right. Um, yeah, it's disappointing, and we'll see what happens. I don't know what, you know, there doesn't seem to, in a sense, it's kind of like now they're in the position that I kind of challenged them to be in in the first place, I guess. It's like, what else, what else are they going to do? Come back and be yeah. like, Hey guys, we're serious. We're really serious, guys. <laughs> we're we're really serious about this. So could you please donate? Because it's not. We haven't really gotten any money. Like, what if they get no money? You know. Because <laughs> yeah. like uh, the yeah. donation thing didn't seem. You know, they're trying to raise their their pie in the sky goal is like fifty million. Now I'm sure they don't even really believe they're going to get that. But it's like no. I'd be stunned if they got half of a million. I would be too. And the, if they do get a bunch of money. Uh, the only thing I can think is it would not surprise me if there are people out there who have already pledged or, or promised some money, and that money shows up as they're, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, trying to get donations. Like, look, 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 look how many people are interested. We've already got, you know, eighty-five thousand dollars. Right, right. So yeah, overnight, a little get... bit of change in the start. Like, uh, yeah, like, like Bob exactly. did that GoFundMe to for the flat Earth, and he said he started. He put a thousand of his own money in first. It's like, right. That's another thing. I mean, no. I'm sure Tom DeLong has invested money in this, but I mean, I mean, hell, if I was him, I probably would have a complete. I would probably have this perspective. I wish he doesn't, but it's like, I would at least tell people what I put into it because that's part of the whole critique. Where it's like, you're a right. super rich millionaire. How much, you know, do it yourself. If he came back and was like, guys, I've spent $5 million on, <laughs> on that logo right. alone. You know, you know yeah. how, how, how much do <laughs> you think this webcast costs? It's like. Do you, you know, know how much the focus groups cost to come up with the name to the Stars Academy? <laughs> for arts and sciences. I mean, for arts and sciences, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, um, I, I, some of the things, I'm, I'm, and I'm probably not being fair to this whole thing at all, but, you know, one of the things I, the impression I get is that, well, what's Tom DeLong contributing to this? 
he's contributing the fact that he's come along. Yeah, exactly. You know, his his notoriety and personality is what's going to drive this thing. I That's what sorry. it says in the maybe, stock thing, yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm old. I know I'm not with it. I, I fully acknowledge that. But, I don't know, you, you take it out to America and say, hey, Tom DeLong, you're like, who the hell Tom DeLong? Right, right. The guy from Blink-182. Oh, yeah, Blink-182. They're a band, right? You know, the, the, it's like he's not – He's not Paul McCartney. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, he's not an A-list like upper echelon. No, dude. So yeah, like Michael Jackson could have got away with this kind of scheme. I would have invested if Michael Jackson (laughs) said he wanted. He had the truth about the aliens. Well, yes. Where's my checkbook? I will. Yeah. Like if anyone would know, if the aliens came here and contacted anyone, they would have contacted Michael Jackson. So yeah, here's my money. This guy's clearly clearly the leader of the humans. Talk to him. Yeah, they're like, well, he's everywhere, and people seem to love him, so clearly he's their leader. It's like and get us some of this, get us some of this Pepsi that he drinks. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Oh my God, that's probably is what they think. It's like they they worship this Michael Jackson, and they and they drink Pepsi. It's very, it's very strange. Yeah. These, yeah, these but are, yeah. These are odd. They're called, their customs are strange, but I think we can infiltrate them. But the Let's music is really Michael. Let's yeah. wear Michael Jackson's body like a skin and walk among them. <laughs> That's how it all went wrong, folks. You know, I'm I'm wondering. If, if maybe no, I'm 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 not. Um, um, but uh, yeah, Tom Long. It's I don't. We'll see how it goes. There's not much more to say. I think I I think I hit on all my my complaints <laughs> regarding this. Yeah, yeah. Like my my opinion was like, yeah, this is. This is a lot of the sort of thing we've seen before with with promises of of disclosure and, and revelation and it's not the first time that, that somebody famous has gotten involved. I mean I'm I'm actually surprised that that uh you know, Dan Aykroyd didn't do something along these lines first because he's been involved with with this sort of stuff for uh, for a very long time. Um but I have Dan a theory Aykroyd in a sense. I don't know if this applies to Dan Aykroyd, but I have a theory kind of like this is why also the Tom DeLonge thing kind of um, is baffling to me because I have this sort of theory where it's like I think once you – I think if you, once you kind of think you figured it out, you like stop, you bail out or something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I think Dan Aykroyd probably – I think somewhere along the line someone probably gave Dan Aykroyd just enough – information that he was kind of like, I'm good. You know what I yeah. mean? Whether it's true or not, who knows? But it's like, you know, he's a super celebrity. He has a lot of friends and friends of friends. And next thing you know, like some Air Force colonel like comes over to him and says, oh, I'm going to tell you this. You can't ever tell anybody, you know. And and that's yeah. it. Then he's just like – so my theory, I guess, is just like once – if people get that kind of insight, I don't think they're really compelled to like then go and tell – they almost feel like satisfied. So I'm surprised. Right. And considering yeah. what, what Tom DeLong claims, they keep he's heard all this crazy shit. It's like then you should probably just shut up and keep keep listening. Like <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know maybe maybe it's just me, but if I had insiders telling me this stuff, what I would probably say is, you know what? I'm interested in hearing this. I'm not interested in being your spokesperson, but I would love to just sort of hang out with you and have you tell me things. Yeah, exactly. You know? but, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm not going to tell anybody what you're telling me, but I'm, right. I'll am i keep listening. I, I think what 
what concerns me and what sort of like triggers my spidey sense on this is, you know, they are insiders who want the public to know the truth. It's like, see, that's where it falls apart for them. Now, I have no, I, I like that idea that, that Dan Aykroyd, that somebody, you know, told him just enough to, you know, sort of satisfy his curiosity or, or whatever, or, you know, told him enough that, uh, enough that he thinks he knows enough. Right. But, um, but you know, the red flags are we want the public to know about this. Why would you want the public to know? The, the, the public is crazy. Now, who, who knows what they'll do with this information? Right, right. You know, who authorized just, you, guy? <laughs> right. Oh, this is – if there is stuff the public doesn't know, you know, maybe the public should know, but maybe the former Blink-182 frontman is not the man to bring it to the public. And, right. Yeah, it, it's – you know, I the thing is, I, I, I think he's, he's probably looking for a payday of some sort, which is fine. But I, I just from interviews and things, I, he seems to be he seems to be sincere to a degree. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't, don't think he's yeah, I don't think he's yeah. like working an angle here. It's like no, no. I think he's I being think, taken. I think his insiders are. I uh, I think that. Um, that the Defense Department guys are, are probably working some sort of angle, and, and he might have an inkling that not everything is on the up and up, but, you know, doing all of this in the open is a way to sort of force some transparency, maybe. Yeah. So I, I can see from his point of view why, why doing this all publicly might be a good thing, but it's, uh, it's, it's a strange situation, but at the same time, it's, it's more the same. In a lot of ways, yeah, it's ufology. It's it's the next big revelation. It's uh, it's, it's the, the latest next, uh, dog and pony UFO show. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I was kind of hoping they would do their big announcement, the National Press Club, Richard Hoagland style. You know, oh yeah, that, yeah. That sort of the Enterprise mission has a oh oh god Hoagland. I attended little, a couple, not Richard Hoagland ones, but uh, X conference ones at the National Press Club. There's a picture, oh, yeah. there's a picture of me yeah. like, from my very very youthful days. <laughs> yeah, those were crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because back There's then, a, and, and I mean, I was I was young. I was like in my mid twenties. I was like, I'm at the fucking National Press Club talking about UFOs. This shit's real. Yeah. This is really gonna happen. This is real. Yeah. <laughs> it's like now here I am, like almost twenty years later, and I'm just like, oh man. <laughs> it, it, it's not. weird how it, at at various times, like things just have that sort of sense of being authentic. Uh, for me, it's. It, any document printed in that sort of typewriter font, that courier font, you know, if I, you know, anything downloaded from uh, from like an FTP site, a document in courier type from an FTP site is is somehow, you know, it may all be live, but there's something authentic feeling about it. Yeah. You know, um, same thing with with something in the National Press Club. This is something. Solid, and then then Hoagland ruins it all by by making little Star Trek in jokes everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Rich Rich Hoagland, he's yeah, he's a character. He, you wonder does, like does he, he's kind of like a Bernstein era in a way. Yeah. Know? He uh he had a radio show for a while, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was on Art Bell's network for a while. Like, yeah. Did your phone network in close? Um. You no, not not mine. No. Weird. Do you hear like an echoey effect? Let me see. I did for a second there. Yeah. There's the lady. Do I sound okay to the people on the uh, chat room? 
Well, we'll do the plugs anyway. So uh, where can people hear the show? Okay. Uh, people can search for The Saucer Life on uh, iTunes, on Google Play, on um, the iTunes, Google Play, uh, saucerlife.wordpress.com. Uh, you can go there as well. Uh, and uh, you can you can listen to all the episodes. There's uh, They're sort of streaming on the page for each episode. And uh, there's a show archive link that has downloadable MP3s of all the episodes. And also, I've got a link to uh, appearances on other shows and podcasts that I've done over the past few years. So nice. if, you, if you can't get enough of my dulcet tones, uh, <laughs> that's, that's all there for you. All right. And the books are uh, under Aaron Gullius on Amazon. Yeah, on, on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Or your local library. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. So that's in the chat room, lively chat room tonight. So that was cool. Uh, John and Jim mostly, and uh, Alligator popped in for a while, and Zach Copley even showed up. Even dragged his ragged ass in there. So thanks to those guys. And uh, let's we'll just stick around a little bit longer on the on the chat here. I mean the uh, on the show, and we'll say goodbye to the folks in the chat room. So there you go. And the website All is right. saucerlife.wordpress.com. Um, yeah. Well, you talk about authentic, man. I got that kind of sense uh, listening to your show. I liked it how it evolves kind of from the first episode. I can feel or sense like you're sort of working out the working out the kinks of the show. And to me, that's kind yeah. of exciting to watch it like develop uh, before your eyes or before your ears. Yeah, it's um, it's been it's been sort of interesting trying to to figure out exactly the way it should uh it should go and, and to make it and to make it run smoothly. So yeah, it's been uh it's been fun to uh fun to play around with it and, and sort of get get the format down. Yeah. Yeah, it's neat. You can kinda of tell you're like you're you're creating this as you go along as opposed to like a show like mine where it's been around forever. So it's like that's just how we do things. It's yeah, like you actually, don't, you're not you're not constrained by that. That's just how we do things. Yeah, actually the uh the premiere of season two is, is going to have another um, another sort of twist in that I'm going to have somebody else reading some excerpts as well to um, to have a different voice. So not a guest, but just more of a character, I guess. So, you know, reading some of these things. I, I had a friend who's like, can I read something on there? It's like, I guess you want to. And he's, he's got a really good deep voice. So uh, it'll, it'll be good. And I've, I've got you know, some stuff that, that women have written and it's like, you know what, having a woman doing this part of the narration would be kind of neat. So that would be cool. I might, yeah. I might talk my wife into, into, into doing, um, doing some contact. He loves narration. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> she said she's interested. I haven't told her what she'd be reading yet. So she might read it. Like, <laughs> what is this? This is what you do with your time. <laughs> this is your show? Oh my God! It's pornographic. It's the alien. Well, yeah, this is my alien porn show, honey. And what did you think I was doing? It's alien um, porn over the internet radio. It's you know that <laughs> it's, it's, it's modern art. You know when um when when next time I do a resume, I'm, I'm going to object it to produce alien porn over the internet radio. <laughs> That's my goal. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's really yeah. cool. Like I said, uh, it's it's got a freshness to it that that uh, that the sort of ex- little spark in me because you know. So, like I said, this is episode twenty of the last season, so it's like we're getting closer here, and I have all this list of ideas. And it's like, yeah, I can, you know, 
this it's time to create, man. It's time to create. Yeah, It'll be fun. I think I think Benal's next generation, you know, could be could be could be massive. It, well, I hope so. Jesus. <laughs> um, well, I was gonna part of me. I, I was all fired up about this Las Vegas thing last weekend, but uh, last week, but. I don't know. It's 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 kind of petered out for me now, but I yeah. you know, I was sort of fascinated. Well, I am fascinated in a sense, and you're a conspiracy academic, so I'm interested in your thoughts, I guess, on this in a sense. Just just to just sort of how this one this one has hooks in it as a conspiracy. Yeah, there's. I mean, there, there's this sort of you know very true thing that that the earliest reports are usually not accurate, and stories will. It'll appear like you know the narrative changes, but we get more information. But there's stuff with the timeline that's really weird. Um, yeah, how it's changed uh, like three or four times. Yeah, there, there's some there's some weird stuff going on with it, and I, I think uh, I think the authorities don't. I mean, I and I don't blame them. Don't want to look like they aren't sure, you know. And so there's some there's some discrepancies. Uh, one thing about about this and about other other incidents like it is. You know, within minutes of the news breaking, you know, the false flag stories were already out there before yeah, yeah, anybody knew anything. And that's that, that just, for stories where there is something, you know, amiss that might need to be looked at, you know, that kind of Alex Jones-style knee-jerk, you know, it's the Democrats and George Soros wanting to take our guns, you know, by staging a, a shooting. Right. It's like, well... Wouldn't they have taken them already? You know? It's, it's, yeah. It's like the the Facebook lead. My father's the most patient man on earth. He's been waiting for Obama to take his guns for eight years. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, it's that sort of thing. And, you know, it's that sort of it muddies the waters, you know? Muddies the waters just like, you know, like the, the 9-11 theories about, well, it was a laser from the moon that yeah, did it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, it wasn't. A, we might not know everything that happened in the way it happened, but I'm almost positive it wasn't a laser from the moon. Yeah, yeah. It it just, you know, I kind of wonder, being paranoid, that, you know, how many of these really out there theories are active attempts to discredit anybody who looks deeper. Well, I think that might be the case in a sense, because it's like the... Yeah, false flag, I think, is almost now... Because false flag's been so used that now fucking the thing is crisis actors, which to me is yeah. like the oh, most. Geez. That's just so awful, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. it's just the people who are like, this didn't even happen. They're like flat Earth people. They're like flat Earth people. It's really to me, there's there's completely bonkers as flat Earth people, and they're, they're and they're just as vehement and scary. Where they're like, yeah. you're a, you're a moron, man. These are actors. None of these people died. It's like, you're crazy, man. You're the definition yeah. of a crazy conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Oh, and, and the people who would who uh, who called up the parents of the kids killed up at Newtown. You know, yeah, exactly. And, That's, so you wonder that, almost that, in a sense where it's like maybe maybe the government didn't create that perspective, but maybe it fostered it where it's like, yeah, let's just have some trolls or, or, or the Russians did it. I don't know, folks. You know, maybe right. we'll have some trolls go on and say – and just keep insisting on this shit, just to upset people. You know, right. that could be a that's that's a more believable conspiracy than that they're actors. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I I agree. And I mean, I'm you know, sort of thing where 
I wouldn't be surprised if there's more to all of these stories than we hear because there's always more to everything than we hear. But people who write out of the gate are positive they know exactly what happened because, you know, it fits the pattern of what they do. Right. You know, it is is just it's, it's just it's I it's so a lot of it's so dumb that I I have to assume they're serving some kind of agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I made the mistake of like dipping into Reddit, the conspiracy section, to see kind of oh, what never, the, never yeah, do that with the conversations. There was one that was there was one thread I should have copied though. Like it was, it was it made my heart sing as a UFO buff because it was like, <laughs> if the, the the title of the thread was, uh, "Are we the last generation of conspiracy theorists?" And it was like, "Oh, I guess everybody's having an existential crisis now." <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's it's like everything's. Everything's gotten dumb, you know. Ufology has gotten dumb. Conspiracy stuff has really gotten dumb. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're I don't think we're going to see another another uh, you know Jim Keith or another. I, I know we're not going to see any more Ken Thomases around, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, well, yeah, exactly. Jim, yeah, yeah. Jim Mars and, and all those guys. This is, is true. Jim, I didn't even really think about it, but yeah, much more solid reason we're going to see guys like that. Because they, you know, they grew up writing for magazines and newspapers and doing long-form journalism. And the, the, the new generation of conspiracy theorists, they do, like, some five minutes of crap on YouTube. Exactly, you know? and, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. they just sort of like, I'm just going to freestyle about, you know, why I think that, that the Jews are behind this. You know, it's like no documentation, no nothing. And, and you know, when... You know, you know, Jim Keith and Ken Thomas wrote The Octopus. You know, you read that and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, this is, this is, this is real. You know, this is, there's some, there's some stuff here. But, you know, nowadays, I don't know, it's just not the same. That's an interesting point, yeah. Well, this person was like, we're not going to be, because it's conspiracy forum, they're like, we're not going to be able to get the information anymore. The government's going to. Clamp down on all alternative media. No one's going to have any more books, which is also true. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think the, op- the opposite is true. We've got more media than we know what to do with, and nobody can sort through it all. Yeah, I think, they're, I think their paranoid uh, concern is that, like, the government's going to somehow – I guess the old, like I – I think it's akin to, like, they're going to take away our guns, where it's like they're going to take away our yeah. internet. It's like I don't think they yeah. can take away the internet, man. Like, I think it's pretty nope. – you know. I mean, e- even in China, people find ways to, you know, get what they need to get on the internet. Even right. With an internet that's completely locked down. Well, hey, I gotta get to bed. Oh man, all right. I'm sorry. I, I gotta get up early. after the show. All right. No, that's that's fine. Yeah, I just need to get some work done and then get to bed. So. All right, get to work Good. on a new episode of your show because I love it. I want to. I will. I will. Yeah. All right, man. I I appreciate it. Good talking to you. Thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate it. And, folks, check out this podcast. I'm telling you, it's absolutely amazing. The Saucer Life, a podcast of flying saucer history and lore. Aaron Gullius. I'm sorry, man. I feel like a a pud now. No, no, no. (laughs) It's it's fine. It's fine. All right. Well, head on off to bed, man. Thank you so much for doing the show, and uh, I'll be listening. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot. Good night. There you go, folks. Oh, that's embarrassing. Aaron's like, I got to go. <laughs> I'm out of here, but all. Um, yeah, good stuff. You guys got to check out this podcast. It really is quite good. Um, and I was I was really, I was blown away by it. 
we haven't done in-house notes as much at the end. I don't have a guest for next week quite yet. I have a request out waiting to hear back. Um, if not this guest, then I have a couple other ones that I can give a call to. And what else is going on? As I said, this is episode 20. I'm starting some, laying some seeds for some post-BOA uh, audio projects uh, over the next week or two. So that's exciting. But you won't hear about that stuff for a long time. <laughs> so, so we can look back on this moment when I teased it. Um, yeah, that's it. Big thanks to Aaron Gullius for coming on the show. Uh, hopefully another show next week, Tuesday night at 9. I don't have any plans for Halloween shows, but if anyone has a suggestion for a Halloween episode, it would have to be uniquely BOA, so I'll have to give it some thought. And uh, if I can conjure up the right guest for Halloween, uh, we, we may be able to do it, but i got to think about it. Um, and on that note, we'll uh, sign off for the night. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a good one.